Never look at your sitone or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. We broadcast live every weeknight. That's Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. That's the place to be. It needn't change your radio preferences. We're also simulcast on Blog Talk Radio, BTR that is. You can watch us live and by archive on our YouTube channel. Folks, we've got it right there. Links to every audio, each audio and video broadcasting venue can be found on home base at hagmanandhagman.com. And folks, don't forget we've got two websites. We've got hagmanandhagman.com, which is our show page, and then show prep, hagmanreport.com. Check, check out the hagmanreport.com tonight. Um, there's a great seven and a half minute video I put up. Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer, uh, it's on his channel. But it's about the SCOTUS ruling in Obergefell. You gotta check it out. You gotta understand that the five bipolar, bribed, blasphemous judges that made this ruling on Obergefell versus a, a previous ruling two years prior. Now it's, or three years, uh, two years prior. It's a, a very interesting seven and a half minutes, critical for understanding the, it's, it's so critical to, to understand with respect to the, um, uh, Burgerfield decision. And, and I've got to tell you the, um, um, the, the civics lesson of this, uh, of that, that seven and a half minute video is, is extremely important, but it's not dry. It, it makes you wonder, these five judges, what happened to these five judges in, in 24 months? Roughly 24 months. Bribed or bipolar? That's my question. Because they did a complete 180 with respect to the homosexual agenda. What happened? And, and that's a serious question. I'm Doug Hagman at the helm, fellow investigator, researcher, 
My son, Joe Hagman, together we are the Hagman and Hagman Report, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. We've got a great show for you lined up uh, tonight. Before we get into that, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, I'm not going to... I'm not going to give out. Uh, I'm not going to give out any personal information here. But thank you to Amy F, Amy and Doug from Texas. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. John E, James H, Eve, Chris A, Libby, James S, from uh, Grass Valley, California. Leanne, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Amy F. And, and, and Doug from Texas, thank you so much. Thank you for supporting our, our efforts. Uh, Couldn't do it without you. No, you know, you know, Joe, it's, it's... Whoops. See, I know why you gave me this magnet. No. Or this thing. He's this, breaking stuff over here. This magnet falls out of... See, we got these awesome 3D printed these uh, right here, yeah. logos. This one is of uh, me and my dad. The other one's of King. And on the back, you see how it's fastened with magnets. Well, every time I stick it to the mic stand oh, we'll here, fix that. the we'll magnet fix that. comes out. Yeah, I know. We'll fix that. All That's right. not really a problem. Uh, I, we we got a great show lined up for you tonight. Before we get started, I, I want to remind everyone portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by Whole Tones, WholeTonesLive.com. What a great company, WholeTonesLive.com. If you haven't visited WholeTonesLive.com, folks, go to their website. Check them out, WholeTonesLive.com. More on that later. Also, I want to just announce our grand opening for the Hagman Report Store. Grand opening for the HagmanReportStore.com. HagmanReportStore.com. Now, now, here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. You, you've got to go to the HagmanReportStore.com. It, it, you got to read the product descriptions. Really, you do. We've got products. Now, now the store, we, we've got more in store for you. Haha, <laughs> pun intended. But um, the products that we, that we are... Well, here's what we're doing. We have uh, gone through a, a process of selecting various products, such as we've got a we've got a back backpack on the on there. Joe, you, you field tested the backpack. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a 17 inch. It's a back that backpack that holds a 17 inch computer. You, you have to read basically what we've done with that. Well, of course, we have our shirts and. I'm gonna say the, the uh, and, and these too, the backpack these. is uh, I have a a similar backpack that my wife got me uh, maybe two and a half years ago yeah and last time we were at Best Buy together maybe about a month or so ago they still had it up there for one hundred and fifty nine dollars I believe it was ridiculous and, and this backpack has all the same uh, amount of pockets and zippers and. Uh, I mean, basically the same as this one. That's right. And it's cheaper, so. Well, it's less expensive. Cheaper is, uh, implies uh, quality. No, this is a great price. price. Yeah. 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 And, and what we did was um, we are fashioning a, a marketplace that's separate, but we are also fashioning the store to provide you with products like the Beacon. For example, the Beacon you put on. Everyone, every car should have one of these. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now because... Um, this sends out a Hagman and Hagman bat signal into the clouds. Well, not really, <laughs> but it could. 
And but not no, to interrupt you, yeah. but the beak in the backpack also has an RFID blocker right. uh, in there. So people, your, if you don't have the block, yeah, if you don't have the blocker pocket, you can put you know USB devices in there, cell phones, yep. and other things, you, uh, your credit cards that you would like protected from RFID readers. Now, in the picture of the backpack that you're looking at right now, lady is not included. <laughs> don't even go there. Don't go there. She's not included. Uh, but, but we are putting together some things that we believe are not just fashionable, not just for utility. I mean, not just fashionable and, and make you look cool or, or engage with like-minded people. But such things as our 20-ounce drink conveyance. That's right. Well, you can put Italian coffee in there. You can put a purple stick in there. I'm going to tell you. But you got to read the product descriptions. you got to read them. The reason is there are some that are super secret that will give you some. I love the size of the cup. Oh, yeah. yeah. So many times, you know, coffee cups are what? You know, hold 8 to 10 ounces, 12 ounces maybe of coffee. This is an awesome mug, 20 ounces. 20 ounces. Large, of a, a large coffee for most uh or vente, you, you know. Uh, I don't, uh, Joe. I, I don't want to really um, hone in on our time with our or from our guests, but I got to just tell, tell you this. And, and Joe and Eric can attest to this. Okay, I obsessed over, for example, a coffee mug. I needed samples like from five different places. Okay, and and it, everything we have is either made in the USA or. The beacon is not made in the USA. However, that's the exception. But it's, um, it, it has it's it's distributed by USA businesses. Okay, so but anyway, uh, like for example, I obsessed over a coffee mug because I, I I know I mean I mean he locked himself in a room for a week with the set of coffee mugs. And, uh, yeah, and and, uh, and and the shipping and such and and, and ask. <laughs> Megan Hop from a Safeguard Midwest, folks. Let me tell you, all of our, all, we are supplied. We, all of our materials sourced by Brad and Megan Hop from Safeguard Midwest. You wanted to, boy, send her a sympathy card because dealing with me, I'm going to tell you, she, she needs a, she needs a big. They need a big medal uh, because. Uh, of, of all the run through, you know, products uh, that we said, no, this is not good enough. Oh, the logo is just off by a tad. Oh, well, no, we can't have this. We have to have, do this or this or that way. Uh, really, I put them through the through hoops. But you wanna, you, if you want to deal with a great business, whether it's business cards or, or whatever, whatever your needs are, business needs are, Safeguard Midwest, and the link is up on Hagman and Hagman dot com. They are. Our go-to company. But anyway, I just want to mention that HagmanReportStore.com is now open and we are inaugurating HagmanReportStore.com with the appearance tonight of Mr. Greg Jackson. And speaking of quality, let me tell you something, guys and ladies. Greg Jackson's having a book or his, his book is going to be coming out, new book, and it's it's absolutely fabulous. Forty manners and rules of etiquette you need to teach your sons by Greg Jackson. Got the cliff notes right here. I'm not going to show them to you. I read these and I'm thinking, you know, I wish I would have thought of this. 
I wish I, I seriously, this is a, a favorite of mine. This man has got character, integrity, and he's brilliant. That's Greg Jackson. GregJackson.com. G-R-E-G-G. Two G's. GregJackson.com. That's where you go for, for this man. For the writings, musings of Greg Jackson. Important. Important stuff. And he's got a lot to say. So I'm going to shut up and yes, let him he say does. it. Uh, we had the opportunity to meet Greg in person in Dallas this last March. And that was awesome to finally be able to, to meet him in person and to spend some time with him. And I think he's been on our show once since then. Uh, maybe I could be wrong on that. But regardless, by the way, have... Greg Jackson, do you notice how, how ripped he is? No. I mean, look, I, if I take my shirt off, I'd look just like Greg, okay? <laughs> I, I'm not kidding, man. Okay, I don't know if this guy lifts lifts Volkswagens, if he benches VWs. You know, I don't know. But you know, he he, he gave me a, a a hug. I think he broke three of my ribs, shook my hand. I you know, I'm still I'm still trying to regain feeling. The guy the guy is the guy's ripped, and and you know I. Uh, He's got a wonderful dog, a gunner, wonderful son. Hmm. Family man. Welcome back to the Hagman Hagman Report, Greg. Well, good to be on with you guys. I appreciate it. It's always an honor and a pleasure. And, Doug, I'm sorry if I crushed your, your ribs. I was just so happy to see you. It was our first meeting. In <laughs> That's all right. I was, hey, I was jacked. Hey. Wow, you know, let me tell you, you're, uh, you, you've got, seriously, you know, you're, you're, um, you're a well-built guy in terms of your muscles and your tone, and, uh, you've got the intellect to match your outward appearance. Uh, yeah. Well, my wife is a good cook. What can I tell you? She keeps me healthy. Wow. She's a a fantastic cook. But yeah, no, I do. I, you know, I'm getting it, I'm pushing 50. Turning 48 uh, at the end of this month, May 29th, John F. Kennedy's birthday, and uh, you know I'm getting up there, so I gotta, I gotta try to try to stay young, try to stay healthy, stay around as you, long you, as I can. You know what I mean? You, you, yeah, you look about 29. Seriously, in, in person, you're about you look about 29, and you look like I, you you can uh, you, you can kick everyone's butt. But well, well, I'll tell I'll tell you what. It was an absolute pleasure meeting you guys in Dallas, and I think I have been on a, a couple times since then. But it was it was fantastic uh, being with you guys, and and like I said, this here the Watchman Conference that we had in, in Dallas. Um, you know, for those of you who weren't there, it was. What did you guys think? I thought it was like a family reunion of a lot of people who had never met one another, but we're all part of the family of God, and we all got a chance to spend. A really, really special weekend. I was bummed Sunday afternoon when I had to go back home. I, I wanted I, I to know. hang out more. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to hang out as much. It, it was. It was. It's you know? never. Yeah. And 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 we apologize because and we apologize to everyone we couldn't spend time with. It, it was almost as if uh, I, I don't know. Joe and I. We 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 were there beforehand for some business that we had to take care of. Uh, not connected with that, but uh, uh, from Friday morning to Sunday, it was just like a blur, buddy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we were we were real busy there. Uh, we had a lot of stuff going on, doing interviews behind the scenes. Um, we had a dinner that was raffled off, a dinner with us. 
which is scary. People paid to sit down and have dinner with us. I actually wanted to, I thought maybe we should have, I misunderstood. I thought we should have paid them, but anyway. <laughs> but we got a lot of talk about yeah. tonight, Greg. Uh, you had a conversation with my dad earlier today, and you and me talked this afternoon. And I had a great discussion about tonight and the show and the content. So I'm going to turn it over to you. And I know you want to talk about a number of things, the 2016 presidential election, Donald Trump being uh, just a few. Greg admitted to today, folks, Greg admitted to me on the phone that he's voting for Bernie Sanders. And if Bernie Sanders is not on the on the ticket, it's going to be Hillary Rodham, Diane Rodham Clinton, the uh, the, the, the uh, Guccifer, Lucifer, the Democratic. Uh, uh, no, I guess I was... You, wrong person, right? You, you, you know, we live in a in a, in a pretty. Um, we live in Denver, and it's a pretty blue state. And uh, we live in a neighborhood that 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 we do have a lot of more traditional conservative type people that that live around us. But just to mess with them, I was actually thinking. I was talking to my wife the other day about getting a Bernie yard sign and popping it. On the front lawn, just to just to see how the neighbors react. Do you guys think I should do that? Oh, absolutely! Just for kicks, better yet. <laughs> Keep better yet. <laughs> Here's what you should do: is and and I've done this, Greg. Um, I, I I've got a, a friend, a neighbor friend, and uh, what I did one morning before the sun came up is I put a for sale sign by for sale by owner sign in front and, and put it in his lawn with an arrow towards his house, his house, not not ours. <laughs> Okay, and and then I do things like you know put uh, yeah Sanders, um, Sanders, or Clinton signs. Absolutely, you should put it in their lawn. Yeah, that might be. How do we get to the? How do we get to the point in American history where a man who spent his honeymoon in the Soviet Union is one of the the favorites of the the generation Y or X? I don't even know what they're called. The millennial generation. Seriously, I mean, think about how low this country has, not to start things off on too, too much of a negative footing here, but, I mean, we have a, we have a woman that, that is, by, I think by all estimations, by all estimates, is, 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 is clinically insane. I mean, Hillary Clinton, we all know, belongs behind bars and is, she's clinically insane. You just look at her. And she looks like a, a, a raving lunatic. And then we have a man who is a, is a is an admitted communist. I mean, he like, like I said, he spent his honeymoon in the Soviet Union, and you know he's got the clenched fist of Lenin. Well, was that during the Bolshevik? That was previous yeah, the, to the Bolshevik Re- Revolution, I think. Uh, given his age, um, you know, pre nineteen seventeen. I think it could have been, yeah. I mean, he's, I think he's 80, 85, pushing 90. So that, that could have been. But the fact of the matter is it's it's like I, you know, walking my dog Gunner the other day and just walking through the neighborhood and, and seeing all these ready for Hillary, ready for Bernie, all these signs, and I'm thinking, where, where did my country go? I mean, how in one generation do we go from Ronald Reagan to Bernie Sanders? Ritalin addicted, Ritalin addicted millennial, sniveling, snot nose, know everything, spoiled little Ritalin addicted millennials. That's how. Did I say Ritalin addicted, snot nose millennials? I think it was. I think it was more of a rhetorical question. I mean, we know when you take God out of a society, you become a godless nation, 
and the government becomes God. And that's really, I mean, that's what Bernie Sanders represents. That's what Hillary Clinton represents, bigger government, global institutions. And so that's unfortunately what our kids have been taught for the past generation or two, which is that government is God. And they, they've all been indoctrinated with this collectivist hive mind mentality mindset. And, you know, and on the Republican side, it's, it's really not that different. I mean, these are, these are guys, you know, the, the one good thing, and I know we're going to talk about Donald Trump because I think that his candidacy is so interesting for a number of reasons. Um, you know, but not the least of which is that aren't we seeing now the true nature of those in the Republican Party who claim to be conservative and hold to Christian values and so on and so forth? My goodness, they have more disdain. People like Paul Ryan and Boner, Bonner, whatever his name is, and the you Bushes, and all of these people who say that never Trump, you know, the hashtag never Trump gang. I mean, I've never heard so much hatred and vitriol and disdain for any politician in my lifetime than I've heard from the re- Republicans who, for eight years, they were silent about funding Obamacare, abortion on demand gays in the military, you know, the feminization of the military, all the LGBTQYX uh, 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 funding and mandates. I mean, literally just with Republican majorities in the House and Senate uh, continuing year after year to fund, uh, you know, Obamacare and, and all of the, the, the radical left-wing uh, you know, pieces of legislation, um, you know, very, very little opposition to the, you know, the elephant in the room, which is the fact that, well, we have someone who's occupied the White House who possesses the same birth certificate number as a dead man in Connecticut. I'm sure your listeners know that his Social Security number, our president's Social Security number, is... Uh, a, a number of a dead man in Connecticut. And so while Obama is saying we need to know more about Trump's records, didn't he come out with that yesterday? He said we need to look into uh, Trump's records. Wasn't that the thing uh, last yesterday? I, I, didn't, I didn't see that. Uh, Greg, though, just a, a quick side note. Um, if you yeah. could... Uh, Back off the the mic just a touch. You're coming in real hot on the on the How's satellite. This? Better. Yeah, much better. better. Much I got better. this fancy fancy headset. So, but, but I didn't. But I did not is, see that report. No. Apparently, he's he's saying that we need to know more about uh, you know uh, Trump's records and so on and so forth. This coming from the same guy who's had his college records sealed. Uh, who posted a fake birth certificate on the on the White House uh, website, um, and and again, who has a Social Security number of a dead man in Connecticut, and and so the Republicans, you know, with all of the illegal actions taken by the uh, imposter in the White House over the last eight years, um, the Republicans essentially sat by and did nothing, right? And now when there's a Republican, by the way, I don't agree with everything Donald Trump stands for or says, but here's finally 
somebody who says he's going to totally uh, overturn Obamacare. He's not going to fund Planned Parenthood like Paul Ryan uh, has done every year and the Republicans to the tune of half of a billion dollars per year. Um, the Republicans haven't looked into the selling of the baby body parts still yet from Planned Parenthood. That just kind of went away. And so they do nothing about Trump. They, don't, they, they, they virtually let him have full reign as he destroys our country, leaves the borders wide open, and then you, you get a guy come in and, and, and basically expose them for who they are, which we all know, the Republicans and Democrats, with very few exceptions, are two wings of the same bird. And so that's why I, that's the, one of the major reasons why I think that people, uh, Republicans, dis, have utter disdain for Donald Trump. And I think that uh, Trump is really exposing that the GOP and the Democrats are essentially two wings of the same bird. And he's exposing their corruption and their rot. It's all coming out right now. So, you know, whether he gets elected or not, the one good thing from his candidacy is that he's at least revealing uh, a, a lot of these people for who they really are and what they truly believe. And the fact of the matter is they hate Donald Trump more than they hate Barack Obama. And that says something to me. You know, you what hit you that say? right on the head. You hit that right on the head. You're absolutely right. When you've got this much vitriol against one person. Now, folks, look, it, and Greg said something to me today. And I was trying to articulate or be able to articulate my position on the elections. Because we, you know, Greg, you said something earlier, and I guess this kind of sums it up. Not one of the candidates on the, on either side, the viable candidates here that, that we all know of, the, the Trump on the, Trump and Cruz, we'll, we'll just kind of say, we'll, we'll keep Cruz in there just for a moment. And even throw in Jeb Bush. It doesn't matter. And on the right, on the left, uh, Sanders and, and Hillary, not one shows the, the 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 need or inclination or proclivity for repentance, for acknowledging God, for acknowledging that we this country has got a moral and spiritual problem. Not one, and that goes for Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah we can make America great again. But what about you know what about the the the, the abortion mills? What about this? homosexual sodomite sewage pit that we're living in. What about that? Yeah. Well, oh. I mean, so Trump, obviously, so what's Trump's appeal? Well, he, he reflects the, the overwhelming anti-government sentiment, right? The anti-establishment sentiment. I think Congress has, what, an 8% approval rating? So I, I think that his candidacy, people are so excited and evangelical Christians included, by the way, even though, you know, Cruz and, and, and a lot of the other Republicans say, oh, yeah, it's independents and Democrats, and he doesn't have much support among Christians. Well, if you look at South Carolina, he actually won the evangelical vote and 
it polls very, very highly among self-described, self-professing evangelical Christians. So the question is why? What's the, why are people so excited about this guy? Well, for me, let me, let me just give you my personal take. And, you know, one of the things that I love about the guy is that he doesn't have to go to a, an advisor to tell him what to say. You know, granted, he probably needs to have more of a filter on some of the things that he says. But the bottom line is he's not politically correct. He says what he believes. He doesn't mince words. He's masculine. He's authoritative when he speaks. And he's not some limp-wristed, you know, empty suit that is a career politician. He's actually been in the private sector. He actually knows what it's like to create jobs, to create opportunities uh, for others, to employ others. And so I think a lot of people love the fact that finally there's a man in the United States of America who's not an empty suit, you know, uh, tell the people what they want to hear. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. See, his appeal is the fact that he is an alpha male. And, and this yes. generation, okay, we have been castrated. How many alpha males are out there? We, the men in America are limp-wristed, uh, wusses that have been chemically castrated or brainwashed or socially engineered into believing that they are, are, you know, led to question their sexuality, led to question everything about themselves, um, but brainwashed or programmed. But, you know, the appeal there with with Trump, number one, it's refreshing because he's not talking the, the, the um, old Republican establishment line. That's right. He's going to say things that people want to hear, whether or not it's genuine or not, is, is up to your perception and, and up, but whatever. But, but the fact of the matter is, um, he's an alpha male. He appeals to the women who are not the uh, the lesbians of the bunches, or, or not the uh, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but uh, uh, but but you're right. Radical I mean, see, feminists. Thank you, thank you. I was thinking something else, but I like your phrase for radio better. Go on. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I yeah. did. No worries, no. But I, I mean, I, I think that that's what a lot of people they find it refreshing. They're sick and tired of they 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 can see clearly now. Or I think mo- most Americans are waking up to the fact that these both parties are one and the same, two wings of the same bird flying in the same new world order, globalist direction, looking to uh, put the final nails in, uh, of the coffin in America, and to push us into world government, and. Trump has exposed a, a, a lot of these factions for what they truly are. Uh, and, and, you know, un, and unfortunately, he's exposing, I think, the heart of the church as well. I mean, if you think about it, I'm talking about religious right leaders, people like um, the head of the Southern Baptist Religious uh, uh, Liberty and Ethics Organization, um, Refresh, refresh. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. He came out yesterday with a scathing attack on um, uh, Russell Moore, Dr. Russell Moore. I don't know if you guys heard this yep. story, but he basically came out with a pretty scathing attack on Trump, and he's all upset with Liberty University and Jerry Falwell Jr. for endorsing Trump. And 
so, and Joe and I were talking about this earlier. He's, I think, exposing a lot of, you know, I mean, where were some, where was, where was Russell Moore for the past eight years when Obama was uh, fully funding abortion on demand via Obamacare? Where was Russell Moore and the other religious right leaders when uh, uh, Barack Obama was pushing this radical homosexual agenda in, in America and the Republicans were signing off on it? Where were the church leaders? Where were, to give you a recent example, where was Russell Moore during the recent uh, policy, target policy, that allows grown men to pee and poop right alongside five-year-old girls in their bathrooms? Where were the religious leaders then? I wonder how many churches actually talked about Target's policy and told their congregants, don't go to Target. And so I think what it reveals is that a lot of people on the religious right, the religious right leaders, we chronicled some of them in a book I wrote a couple years back, we won't get fooled again, uh, that that are more concerned about getting a seat at the Republican table than they are about standing up for biblical values. And, and so what Trump is exposing, I believe, to, to a large degree, is the rot and corruption among many of those, not all, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, I'm not saying everybody in the body of Christ, but the major, a lot of major denominational leaders uh, are really globalists. I mean, Russell Moore, uh, who's the head of the, the, the Southern Baptist Religious Ethics and Liberty uh, Organization, which is one of the, the largest denomination in the United States of America. He was, he's for open borders. He's, he's for amnesty. He's praising the Pope. Uh, you know, he's, he's an ecumenical, uh, you know, uh, uh, leader, uh, 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 quote unquote evangelical leader. And so what we're seeing now, what Trump is exposing, I believe, is that corruption and that rot that we've always known was there, but now it's coming to, it's coming to the forefront. It's coming to the surface. And now Americans are seeing very clearly where people really stand on these issues. Don't you agree? Yeah, 100%. Did I lose it? You know, no. But, but but and, and and you just said something, Doug, that I think is very very relevant and very important about Trump, which is on the other side. What is Donald Trump talking about? What are his major campaign platform planks of his platform? Well, every speech he talks about, he wants to build a wall, right? He wants to build a wall, and that's his biggest applause line. I'm going to build a wall. I'm going to build it bigger than, oh, I'm going to build it. I've built many walls. We're going to build a wall. And people are excited. Now, rightly so. People want our immigration policies enforced. People want their, uh, d- don't want Muslims coming across the border when we know that uh, it's not just Mexicans looking for for, uh, better opportunities in the United States. We're talking about drug dealers. We're talking about uh, violent criminal offenders that have been deported and then let back in the country that are committing crimes that are killing Americans. We're talking about Muslims that uh, have taken on Hispanic names that have come across the border that are setting up 
Islamic terrorist cells here in the United States, which has been fully documented. And so, of course, I'm for a wall. Of course, I'm for our immigration policies being enforced. Of course, I'm for a temporary abeyance or suspension of Muslims coming into this country. Of course, that appeals to somebody like me. But the problem is, as you rightly stated, Doug, that Donald Trump is talking about the symptoms of the problem and not the underlying problem itself, which Steve Quayle and Pastor Langford touched upon yesterday, which is that, unfortunately, uh, our main problems are moral and spiritual. Now, people say, oh, Greg, this guy's running for president. He's not running for a priest. Well, true. But the primary duty of the commander-in-chief of the United States of America is to enforce the God-given rights of Americans and to acknowledge that governments are instituted among men to protect and defend God-given rights. So the things that Trump aren't talking about to me are more important than what he's talking about because he's not going to the heart of the matter. What the president should, or anybody running for president should be talking about is the fact that in the United States of America right now, we are on death's doorstep. We are on a ventilator. We have a code blue moral and spiritual crisis in this country and our days are numbered. We are on life support. And that the only hope for this country is a restoration and return to the one true God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose son is Jesus Christ, who made this country great. He is our only hope. And that's, of course, never, I've never heard Donald Trump talk about that, and rightly so. I don't think Donald Trump is a born-again Bible-believing Christian. I don't believe he's saved. I'm praying that he would be. Can God work through him? Certainly, I believe he is. But the fact of the matter is that we had a candidate by the name of Mike Huckabee who, unfortunately, was only at, like, single digits. He's the only candidate, John, who is talking about the most important thing that any government should be... Greg, you're uh, coming in and out. Do you hear me better now? Yeah. Yeah, your last two there? sentences were uh, very fragmented. Yeah, something happened there, buddy. I'm not sure if it's a wireless headset. Something interfered there. Okay, still silence there. If you can hear me, if you can hear us, still silence. Um, better? Yeah, there we better? go. Yeah, don't okay. move. <laughs> I won't move. So, right. listen, when Huckabee was running for president, what was the one thing that he pledged to do as his first official act as president of the United States? Do you guys remember? Yeah, the, yes. the uh, shutting down of abortion, of the abortion clinics and the practice of abortion. Mike Huckabee pledged as his first official act as President of the United States that he would enforce the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments of the United States Constitution, which guarantee the God-given right to life, equal protection of the laws, and due process of the laws for all innocent human persons, which of course includes babies in the womb. Of course they are persons. Even Hillary Clinton acknowledged that about a month ago. 
right? Mm-hmm. So we had we had an opportunity to get behind, and I'm I'm not saying that everything that Mike Huckabee stood for or advocated I agree with, but on the major issues, he recognized the fact that we have allowed 60 million babies to be murdered in their mother's wombs since 1973, and that. We have an abortion holocaust in this country. And he properly recognized and acknowledged the fact that no rights could be secure unless the God-given right to life be restored. And that as president, if any individual state failed to enforce the God-given right and to close down the abortuaries, that he as president would do so. That, I believe is what a godly presidential candidate would put at the centerpiece of their campaign. Because it doesn't matter how high the wall is, Joe and Doug, that Donald Trump wants to build. It doesn't matter what type of tariffs he's going to impose on Chinese imports. Not that those things aren't important. Trade deals are important. But are they the main issue? No, because there's a hierarchy of issues and I would say that the God, restoring the God-given right to life is significantly more important than tax rates on corporations or tariffs on imports and trade deals. So Donald Trump is talking about building a higher wall, but what we need in this country is the type of wall that Nehemiah built around Israel which was a wall of righteousness because only the construction of a wall of righteousness and rebuilding righteousness in America will save whatever is left of our country. And unfortunately that's not what Donald Trump is talking about. So as much, and I, Hey, look, I might even pull the lever for Donald Trump, but the fact of the matter is he's not even talking about the major issues that plague this nation, the restoration of the right to life, the protection of the God-given, God-ordained, God-instituted natural human family. He's not talking about opposing unconstitutional, immoral, and illegal court opinions, opposing judicial supremacy. He's not talking about any of the major issues of the day, and in doing so, my fear is that people have a false hope when they think that Donald Trump is going to change everything in America. Now, if he's elected, might he do some good things? Yeah, maybe. Might he expose the rot of the establishment? Yeah, maybe. And those are all good things. Uh, maybe, maybe he might even save some lives by ensuring that radical Islamists aren't crossing the border and coming in to do harm to America. But as good and noble as those things are, as Steve Quayle says, we don't have political problems. We have spiritual problems. I mean, we do have political problems and cultural problems, but the foundation, the most important problems that this country has are moral and inherently spiritual. And unless the church, the body of Christ changes, unless there's revival and restoration of the body of Christ, it doesn't matter who you put in the White House. I agree. Greg, the the moral and spiritual bankruptcy of the people in America and throughout the West, don't we need 
and, and I'm, I'm just, I, I've been really very introspective and attempting to grasp this. Certainly, we need a strong leader that, that loves America. Now, when I say that, and I know words are important, I know I'm going to get emails about this, loves the, 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 the idea of a free country in, in the manner in which it was intended. We'll say at the Mayflower Compact. How's that, folks? Okay. Now, having said that, uh, don't we need both a strong leader who is, who has got a spiritual humility to him? I mean, I, that's important to me. However, isn't revival up to us? Don't we, isn't revival and, and that strong spiritual, um, and moral integrity, isn't that from the bottom up as opposed to the top down? Just yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. That's why I don't spend too much time. I mean, Jim Willie, who he's an economist uh, and uh, investor, and some of your listeners might be uh, familiar with him. He was on Rick Wild's show the other day, and Rick asked him what his thoughts were on the election, and he said, I don't pay attention to third world country elections, <laughs> which I thought was pretty, pretty insightful. And, you know, there, you know, there, 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 for, for a long, and if we're going to be honest with each other, we have to admit, if we look at the financial picture in our country, we're a third world nation. We're being held together by duct tape, EBT cards, uh, the Federal Reserve printing money out of thin air, and it's all coming to an end. If we know the macroeconomic picture. We know that tough times financially are ahead that I think is going to make the Great Depression look like the junior varsity team. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be that massive, uh, for, for America when the dollar loses its status as the world, world's reserve currency and so on and so forth. And the reason I bring that up is because for a long time, Doug, I was, even as a young Christian, I came to faith in 2001. Jewish believer came to faith right before 9/11. For some of your listeners who don't don't know my uh, my background, and but I was I was on the radio in Boston, and and uh, you know I but got a lot of my satisfaction from going head to head with liberals on the radio for three hours and thinking that I was so smart. And you know I hung around with the people like Ann Coulter and others and. And, uh, David Limbaugh and, 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 and associate with a lot of those type of people that I met in the quote unquote conservative circles. And I was heavily invested in listening to Rush Limbaugh every day and Sean Hannity. And if George Bush didn't become president, you know, when he was running against John Kerry, I remember staying up all night long and thinking that, oh, you know, America's done if John Kerry's president and, or if Al Gore is president and not knowing that there wasn't a dime's worth of difference between either one of them, that they were all skull and bones, they were all part of the New World Order, that they were chums on the side. And, you know, for for many years I was involved, I was invested, Doug, just like you were before your epiphany, thinking that there was a difference. And so for me, who sat in the White House was of the utmost importance. And, you know, who who sat in the Supreme Court? Not that these things aren't important, but when you recognize that we have a sham two-party system, two wings of the same bird, we've been sold out, and that... 
we've been played like chumps. When you get to that, when you understand that, then you can be free from living in the matrix, from being on the, either the red team or the blue team, Coke, Diet Coke, Yankees, Red Sox, whatever you want to call it. And what I've recognized is exactly what you just said, which is that once you're freed of that worship of politics, and once you see that it's just a sham, the whole Hegelian dialectic, the whole false right-left paradigm, and you, you, once you become free of that, you understand, wait a minute, America was, to quote to Tocqueville, was great because she was good. He recognized, the French philosopher to Tocqueville in his travels in, in America in the, in the 18th century, and he wrote about it, uh, that America was great because she was good. He said, in all of my travels of the country, I recognize that America's greatness wasn't because of those in the halls of Congress, but it was because of her religious institutions, the church. And so you're exactly right, Doug, which is that to, to, to borrow you know, Trump's tagline, make America great again, well, America can't be made great again until she once again becomes good. Well, how do we become good? It starts individually. It starts in, in our families. It starts corporately in the church. And that's the only way that America can ever be great again, if America will ever be great again. And so that's why, you know, I, I wrote the book that for my son, uh, 40 Things to Teach Your Children Before You Die, because there are so many things that we can do as parents um, for our, and even if we don't have children, for our loved ones to, to, to share God's word with them, to share the gospel with them. I think God is more concerned about the heart, the individual heart of the body of Christ than who sits in the White House. And so, you know, I, I think that you know, if America is going to be made right again, Christians will have to start caring more about how we're spending our time, how we're spending our money. Where, where are kids being taught? What type of churches do we go to? Are they teaching God's Word? Uh, you know, these are just some of the things. What are our pastors teaching? Are we, you know, are, are, are we exposing our kids to 40 hours a week of humanist indoctrination in government schools that teach our kids to hate God and to to think that there is no transcendent moral authority or truth. And so I think that we need to, to, to be more introspective and pay and, and look at ourselves before we go pointing the, the finger at Target, right? For it what, why would we expect that Target wouldn't allow men to go in the women's room, Doug? And Joe? Hmm. Why would we expect that a pagan organization like Target, okay, would have Christian biblical values? And the answer is we shouldn't expect that. The question is why? Why does Target allow men to go in the women's room now? Well, because it's just, it's, it's the fruit of, for a generation of two, or two, of churches in the United States of America not teaching sound biblical doctrine. If the church, just as an example, had taught the, 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 there's a principle here, 
and there's a difference because the church has taught for the last generation or two egalitarianism that men and women are equal and that's why you're seeing women pastors when the bible explicitly says that women are not to teach men now can can women teach women's bible studies absolutely can they teach children absolutely but they're the Bible does not teach egalitarianism. And what the Bible teaches is complementarianism, that men and women complement one another, that there are God-ordained roles. As Christ is ahead of the church, so a man should be head of his wife. That's what the Bible says. If you have an issue with that, take it up with God, because that's what the Scriptures say. And because the church, just as an example, has taught the touchy-feely humanist version of the Bible, that there's no difference between men and women, women can teach men, uh, you know, for, for whatever reasons uh, that, that, the, that the scriptures have been watered down and distorted and twisted, now it seeps out into the culture, right? Because we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be uh, surprised in the least that pagan uh, institutions or public schools that allow men to use the women's locker room do so. Why? Because the church has abnegated its primary duty to teach sound biblical doctrine. And, and of course, not all churches, but for the most part, when you look at the state of American Christianity and the, and, and the quote-unquote evangelical church in the United States of America... We must admit that the problems, the main problems in our culture and in our society stem from the failure of the church to stand in the gap. Look at Dave Dobbenmeyer, Coach Dave, America's coach. We all love him. He went to Target. He, he's, you got the video up on your website. How many people joined Dave Dobbenmeyer when he was at Target? An astounding How many people that were there with nobody. Him? Yeah, well, in the his video, wife was there and... not many, but I'll tell you, you know, since that video, over a million people had signed a petition boycotting Target, and the value of their stock dropped $2.5 billion, and uh, that was in part due to what Coach Dave did and exposed through his video. Greg, we're coming up against the top of the hour Absolutely. break. Absolutely. Uh, Folks, we're talking with Greg Jackson. His website is gregjackson.com. That's G-R-E-G-G, gregjackson.com, author of 40 Things to Teach Your Children Before You Die. He's got a new book coming out. Yeah, uh, folks, definitely check this book out. 40 Manners and Rules of Etiquette You Need to Teach Your Sons by Greg Jackson. Uh, And this is the first time I'm looking at this here. But uh, we have another hour with them. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Greg Jackson on this Tuesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. This is the Global Star Radio Network. 
you may never look your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. back ladies and gentlemen to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report our very special guest Mr. Greg Jackson two G's on the end at gregjackson.com uh, author of 40 things to teach your children before you die uh, author of an upcoming book about 40 things to teach your sons about manner and etiquette <laughs> oh, man I, I can't wait for that book to come out and of course a very astute observer and uh, assessor of current events. We're talking about, well, current events as they relate to the political sphere, but the moral and spiritual bankruptcy of America, the uh, the absence of leadership of American, the the American Christian conservatives, the appeal of Donald Trump being an alpha male saying what everyone who really wants to be, either is or wants to be or can relate to alpha males wants to hear in context Greg we're going to turn it back to you so, but, but before we do let me just remind everyone folks HagmanReportStore.com now open for business HagmanReportStore.com but you can't just look at the merchandise you got to read the descriptions because the descriptions tell it all HagmanReportStore.com grand opening as we inaugurate the store with Greg Jackson. Folks, one more thing as well. If you haven't done so, please visit WholeTonesLive.com. That's WholeTonesLive.com with the W-W-H-O-L-E, ToneslLive.com. We have gotten such a great response. So many people emailing us saying, you know, our work days are so much better when we play WholeTonesLive.com. The music from WholeTonesLive.com in our office. My wife has marveled, is marveling at the health benefits. It has, the music sound frequencies has given her. Her ability to sleep is better. Her uh, aches and pains are uh, alleviated a little bit from the uh, music frequencies. And, and it's true. And even even our studio dog lady, when she goes home at night, she gets, climbs right up in bed and with whole tones in the background, 
my goodness, she's out like a light, uh, of course, on a Casper mattress. But anyway, WholeTonesLive.com, what a great uh, website. And, and the, the, the healing frequencies of music. This is all from King David. This is all biblical. This is, and you go to wholetoneslive.com and get the background of this music. It's, it's more than music. It's, it's frequencies, motivational frequencies, healing frequencies, frequencies to calm the beast within you or frequencies to motivate you, inspire your creativity. That's wholetoneslive.com. We had Michael Terrell on. He's a, he's a fantastic man and he had talked about um, how it all came about. How he was inspired. What a, what a great story. Check out our interview with Michael Terrell from WholeTonesLive.com. But at any rate, go to WholeTonesLive.com. That's W-H-O-L-E TonesLive.com. Download a free sample and then follow through. Go ahead and order the CD set from WholeTonesLive.com. You will be sorry. I can guarantee you that. Greg Jackson's our guest. Greg, thanks for, thanks for holding over. And, uh, let's continue yeah. our continue our discussion. You, you made ta- some great points. Man. Yeah, we're talking about Donald Trump's appeal to the average voter out there. Um, the disdain that the conservative media and establishment Republicans have for him. And the uh, change that his presidential run is affecting on the nation. And like you said earlier, Greg, when we were talking on the phone, it is separating uh, people from uh, you know it is separating the the wolves from the sheep. We are seeing the true colors of people come out. People on the Republican side, even pundits, popular pundits, uh, conservative pundits, are saying they would vote for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. It's a it, it's an amazing thing to see. Uh, as you said earlier, their true colors are being shown, and it's yeah, not absolutely, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, the Bible says, and I'm just going to uh, read here from Psalm 21, verse seven: Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And <clears throat> That used to be, I think, for 300 years of American history, even predating our founding, the battle cry um, or slogan for the United States of America. I think that most Americans, for the vast majority of American history, understood that while we weren't a perfect nation by any stretch of the imagination, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, that, as Tocqueville said. We were great because we were good. We knew right from wrong. We didn't parade our sin out in public. We were ashamed of our sin. And we didn't try to glamorize, romanticize, or in any way celebrate our sinful behavior. But sadly, as the Word of God has been all but removed from our schools, our uh, courts, um, as the foundation of our law and our government, as as the God of the Bible has been pushed out from virtually every area of our society, 
something has to fill that void. Blaise Pascal, the famous mathematician, once said, in every man's heart is a, is a God-shaped void. And if, if God is not in our hearts, then we will find something to fill that void. And that's sadly where I think we are, we are in, in the United States of America, which is that the, 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 the primary reason for America's greatness is that we were a God-fearing nation. We were biblically literate. We knew God's word. We knew right from wrong. And our laws and our government and our society and our culture reflected that. And now it's the exact opposite. And I don't know, Joe and Doug, if there will be a fourth great awakening or third great awakening in the United States of America. I don't know if there will be revival. I personally lean toward we have crossed the, the you know, the, the tipping point in America and that we're currently under judgment per Romans chapter 21, being a, a society that's being given over to what our heart craves, like the Israelites who craved, who craved uh, the quail. And God gave them quail when they were in the desert until they puked it up. God will give you what it is that you crave. And it's, and, and, and unfortunately, a nation that once craved the Word of God in obedience to Him, who craved truth and justice and righteousness, now, I believe, has turned from those great edifices that, 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 and values that made this nation great. And unfortunately, I think God is using a man like Donald Trump, just as he used Barack Obama. I believe that our nation was an abomination in the eyes of the Lord, and he literally made us into an abomination for eight years, because God chooses our rulers. I mean, we vote, but God is sovereign. And he allowed Barack Obama to occupy the White House for the past eight years. Why? I believe as a tool of judgment on a nation that turned from him. We've had time after time, we've had, uh, since 9-11, we've had plenty of opportunities to repent and to get right. And I don't know about you guys, I've seen the opposite take place since 9-11 in our country. I've seen a further turning away from God's word. I've seen a further compromise and dilution of the scriptures being taught. I've seen a more lukewarmness within the quote-unquote church in the United States of America. And I think that where we are, where we are at right now in 2016 is that God, being a patient and loving but just God, is showing us that what our real need is and that the real, we really don't have a choice in terms of who the President of the United States is going to be because there are no Davids out there that will be obedient to the one true God who will proclaim the name of the Lord in the public square, who will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you think, the, you think the, the pilgrims and the Puritans were ashamed of the name of Jesus? And yet you can't get one politician running for president to acknowledge 
the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus Christ, who is in all, who made all. He's the creator. He's the judge. And unfortunately, we are at a time in our nation where we have turned our backs against the one true God. And Donald Trump, I believe, as we're talking about Trump, God is using, again, he's allowing Trump's candidacy. I personally, you know, agree with Steve Quayle, what he said last night, and Pastor Langford. If you didn't listen to yesterday's show, folks, definitely go in the archives and listen to last night's show. Uh, I think they're going to be on again tomorrow as a continuation. But try to make it a point to listen to last night's show because there was so many good and, – and you know what I loved most about last night's show was that it went right to the heart of the matter, and it was tears, shedding of tears for God's people. And that's what pains me the most, Joe and Doug, about our nation right now is that when we should be repenting and in tears – and broken about the state of our nation. 4,000 babies were murdered today in our country. You won't see that one story about that anywhere. Because, of course, it's legal to kill babies in America. And yet 4,000 babies were allowed to be murdered in cold blood today across the United States of America. And it's 4,000 babies a day, a 9-11 each day, every day since 19. 73, 60 million babies. And our churches should be heartbroken. We should be in tears over what we stand by and allow. And yet, marry a peep from the vast majority of churches. I mean, you got, you got a, a guy like Pastor Flip Benham, whom I love. He's a great man of God, and I know he's been a guest on your show, and he goes out every day and coach Dave Dobmeyer, and they stand in front of the abortion clinics. Well, the church, the body of Christ should be having church at these abortion clinics, and yet we've accepted it. Oh, well, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land, so we're just going to have to allow it. And yet we should be broken, like Pastor Langford was talking about. We should be contrite. We should be broken. We should be in tears at what we've allowed in this nation. We should be broken that we've allowed our kids to be sent to public schools where they're being indoctrinated with humanist, communist, antichristical propaganda from 8 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon every day, thinking that an hour and a half of Sunday school is going to reverse it. We should be ashamed of the fact that we stand idly by and say nothing and do nothing when the largest retailer in the United States of America allows grown men to go inside the bathroom with women and young girls. And yet I can guarantee you that probably 99% of most churches over the past few Sundays probably won't mention it because they don't want to offend anybody because probably a lot of their congregants go to Target. And they don't want to create any, you know, any controversy. Tithing might go down, God forbid. And so the question is really, how, how are we to live? What should we do as Christians in this country? And we touched upon it 
before the break, and I'd, I'd be interested to hear your guys' thoughts and opinions. To me, I don't think, I don't see signs of a, of a, of a great awakening, a spiritual revival in this country. What I see is judgment increasing and increasing massively because God loves his people so much that he will allow that judgment, that discipline to take place because he knows there's no other way for souls to once again look toward him because that's all he wants is our heart. He just wants our hearts. And so I fear, Doug and Joe, that what happened to Kurt Schilling, our good friend Kurt Schilling on ESPN, getting fired from ESPN for saying what? On his Facebook page that he disagreed with Target's policy of allowing grown men to do their business in the women's room got him fired from ESPN. You don't think if you're if you're a Christian that you are going to be persecuted, that you're going to be marginalized, that you are going to be attacked? Absolutely we are. And not only it's, that. It's going to increase massively, guys. Not only did they fire Kurt Schilling from ESPN and edited him out of the uh, ALCS and took the documentary out of the the Bloody Sock game, but they hired uh, a pro-LGBT that part I'm sure possibly transgender person to take his place. That I'm not sure about. But it was um, a complete reversal uh, what they did. They went and hired somebody who they uh, felt that chilling would was kind of targeting with that message well we're not surprised because we know that disney owns espn and we know that disney is of this world and we know that satan is the is the uh he's the prince of the of the air right of the airwaves and so we shouldn't be surprised that a disney owned company once a great company uh is now in business to with an agenda and ESPN has an agenda and one of the major agendas of ESPN and you guys have talked about this when you talk about the whole uh, uh, Tavistockian philosophy uh, that, that, that goes on to reprogram people's thinking and one of the one of their major goals and objectives is to change the way males think they want to castrate and feminize men. They want men to uh, to, um, to to think in the back of their minds that if they have a traditional Christian uh, biblical worldview, that uh, you know they too could lose their job. I mean, that, those are the times in which we are living in, gentlemen. You read Second uh, Timothy chapter three, chapter four. And Paul is talking to Timothy about what the end days are going to look like. And we are in those days. And so I wish I could say that, you know, Ronald Reagan was coming back and we were going to live in an area where, the, you know, in an era of uh, a, 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 a previous era where the, uh, the chrome was thick and the women were straight. But, but I don't believe that that's what the Bible says. 
right? Never heard it, never heard it put like that before, but yes. And you're right. No, it does say that, you know, men will continue to, to be worse and worse, um, in all manner of sin and that the apostasy will continue. People will continue to fall, fall away from the church, fall away from the, the true foundations and precepts that were given to us in the scripture. And that due to this, that their hearts would be turned over to darkness. Uh, here's because the good news, though. Hey, Joe, here's the good news. Yes, that's what godlessness in the last days looks like. Second Timothy chapter 3, right? In the last days, there'll be times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but not but denying its power. That just described a lot of churches in America. Avoid such people, Paul says to young Timothy, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. But here's the good news. The good news is that verse 10 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy says, You, however, and I think this is instructive of you and me and the entire Hagman and Hagman worldwide audience who is asking the question, Okay, Greg, thanks for telling me it's really, really dark and it's about to get really, really darker and then I'm going to get persecuted and attacked and hated by my family members. Thanks for that really good dose of really positive, encouraging K-Love news. What's, is, there, is there a good, happy ending to this story? And the answer is yes. Because Paul says to young Timothy in, in verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Acomium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That to me is the good news. This is how we are to live. We are to defend sound doctrine. We, we, we recognize... Uh, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And finally, he says to young Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, 
Always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And Joe and Doug, people saying, well, what do we do? Paul just gave us the answer. We get into the Word. We study the Word. We show ourselves approved. We teach the Word. We share the Word. We share the Gospel. We say, Lord Jesus, how can you use me today? I got plans in my daytime or in my calendar, but all those plans, if they're not your plans, I don't want anything to do with them. You put me where you need me to be on the front lines. And that's what I believe the Lord Jesus is calling his people to at this late hour. Not to be anxious about who's going to sit in the White House and to get back and forth on Facebook with people who aren't going to listen to you anyway about, you know, casting your pearls before swine and getting in all sorts of arguments and debates about minor issues when, in fact, Paul says to young Timothy, preach the word be ready in season and out of season. That means all the time. It doesn't mean just on Sundays. It means whenever the Lord calls us. And that's what I want to leave your, your, your listeners with tonight, Joe and Doug, is that, is that we have an amazing opportunity as Christians to be able to lift up and encourage because things are going to get real dark. When people get their 401Ks and their IRAs taken away from them, when the banks close... And that day is coming, and when people are scrapping and scraping just to get by, and they, 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 they don't have their stuff anymore, they are going to be looking at you, and they're going to say, how can you smile? How can, where is your joy coming from? And the scriptures tell us to be prepared to give an answer, an accounting for the joy that is within us. And my prayer for the entire Hagman and Hagman audience tonight is that we would be good Bereans, that we would search the scriptures, that we would be more intimate, like Pastor Langford was talking about last night, and asking the Lord, Lord, it's easy for me to point a finger at the world, but where, where, where do you want me? How can I improve? How can I be a better father? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better friend? How can I be more bold and courageous in sharing the gospel with a world that desperately needs it? And so I want to encourage your, your, your um, listeners worldwide, Joe and Doug, to do a few things. Number one, to recognize the platform that God has given you to, which is primarily to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people who are saved would be encouraged and grow in the faith and become more sanctified. And those who are not saved who don't know with 100% assurance and certainty that if they died tonight, that they would spend eternity in heaven. If you don't have that assurance, may today be the day of salvation for you. It's not a coincidence that you're listening to this show tonight and hearing my voice, because the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not promised. And my prayer that even if it's one person of the millions of listeners who listen to this show, Joe and Doug, worldwide, if there's one person that comes to faith tonight, that receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, forgiven of all of your sins with the assurance, the blessed hope and assurance that when you die, you will spend eternity in heaven. It's not 
by works, lest any man should boast. It's by faith. It's by God's grace we are saved through faith, not by works, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's an act of faith. You don't get yourself cleaned up and, you know, I got you know, to get this thing out of my life and that thing out of my life, uh, you know, before I become a Christian. No, you don't do those things before you become a Christian. You take all of your sin to the foot of the cross. You repent. You acknowledge that you are a sinner and that your sin separates you from a holy and righteous God. And you come to him with a contrite heart and a broken spirit and tears and you receive his free gift of salvation. It's his finished work on the cross that saves you. It's his righteousness that is imputed to you. It's nothing that you do to receive salvation. You don't need to go through a priest. You don't have to, you, you don't get it through going through the Virgin Mary. There's only one man who ever walked on this earth who is without sin. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He is the only way to heaven. And my prayer tonight for your listeners is time is short. Tomorrow is not promised. And if you are not 100% assured that you have been born again, meaning that you have repented of your sins and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by grace through faith, that today would be the day of salvation for you. And if you are a believer, my prayer for you is that I'm just going to turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> My prayer for you is that, let me just start at, in, in, in verse uh, 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering, this is good news, guys, the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, and the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's a happy ending to this if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved, but you're anxious, you're scared, you live alone, you're going through troubles, you're going through difficulties in your life, the Bible says that he will wash away every tear. And that those tears of joy that Pastor Lankford was talking about with Steve Quayle last night will be, tur will be turned into tears of joy. He will wipe away every tear. And so I wanted to encourage your listeners uh, with those words because that's the most important thing, Joe and Doug, that we have to be in the business of keeping, of majoring in the majors, not being focused on all the little side issues that, 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 that the enemy wants us to be focused on, but keeping the main thing the main thing. The answer to all America's problems are turning to Jesus. Individually, 
corporately as families, corporately as the body of Jesus Christ. You want the society to look different? It starts with each one of us individually being restored, renewed, growing in our faith, and being bold and courageous and sharing our faith with those around us. That's how we experience revival. Amen. I don't think I could have said that better. I, I mean, this is what it's all about. At the end of the day, you, you know, the older I get, the more I become aware of my mortality uh, and the more I become aware of whatever legacy I might leave behind. And I want to be, well, that's not as important, I guess, as... It's 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 somewhat difficult to even talk about, I guess, uh, Greg. I mean, you you look at your life and you and you, and you think, okay, um, you know, the priorities that we we have. It, it's not about. Well, it, it's all about bringing others. Because you know what, at the at the end of the day, if you care for someone, you're going to want them to to be saved. Absolutely. You, you know. And we can talk all day long about the issues, and we do talk about issues. But what, what's the biggest issue of them all? The biggest issue of them all is where we're going to spend eternity. And that, to me, and, and what we're doing for our children, too, I think, as well. They're not, they're not mutually yeah. exclusive, either. You know, Jesus says in, in John 15... Um, verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, and that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I want to be a disciple. I want people to know that I am a disciple of the one true living God. God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, through my actions. And you hit the nail on the head, Doug. As I think about some of the, the things that I'm going to do in my life, I have to ask myself, is this going to bear fruit? Because the Bible says that anything that doesn't bear fruit, that is apart from Jesus, will be what? Burned up. So it's a waste of time. Unless we're motivi motivated by the love of Jesus... Those things that we do in life are really, if you think about it, they're just a waste of time. They're not going to bear heavenly fruit that will last for all eternity. And so I think it's very important that, you know, every time I come on your show, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's, that's the same major message, which is in 19 or 2001, I came to faith. And I can tell your audience this if you haven't heard my testimony. I, like Paul, was chief among sinners. I got in my fair share of trouble. I hung out with the wrong people. I did the wrong things. I, I, I was loving the world 
very, you know, materialistic and, and, and thinking that money was the answer to all, you know, every, every need that I had in life. And the bottom line is that when I was saved, born again, baptized in the year 2001 before when I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, the Lord changed my heart. He gave me a new heart. He gave me new desires. Those things that, uh, that, that I was enslaved and bondage to, whether it be pornography or, you know, drugs, you know, smoking weed and following the Grateful Dead around and doing all those things and carousing and, and you know, going to bars and, and those sorts of things. He took those desires away from me. He changed me supernaturally. It was nothing that I could have ever done on my own, I can guarantee it, through my own strength and power. Because I thought I was a pretty good guy. I thought I was the life of every party. And I do know that the life that I have now, not perfect by any stretch, uh, but I do know this. I know I've been forgiven of my sins. I know I have a new heart. I know, know that I used to be a sinner who did some righteous things to be seen by the world as a good guy for all the wrong reasons. But now that I am a child of God, I am a born-again saint of God who sometimes sins. My life is no longer characterized by sin. And I can only say to you that in virtually every area of my life, that that simple act of obedience and faith and trust in the Lord and receiving Him as my Lord and Savior in 2001 transformed my life in ways that I, uh, there's not enough time, you know, in your show to, to, to go into all the areas, but I know that the Lord made me a, a, a better husband, a better friend, a better father. And it's nothing that I could have done on my own. So if you're at the point in your life and you think like maybe you're too old, maybe you're 65, 70 years old, and you you think, oh, there's there's, there's so many mistakes I've made, and you know, I, I there's there's no way the Lord will forgive me. Let me just tell you, the Lord will forgive you. There is no unpardonable sin. I don't care if you've a murderer like King David an adulterer like King David, uh, you know, uh, a blasphemer, a an idolater. It doesn't matter what the sin is because God will, there's only one unpardonable sin and that's rejecting the free gift of salvation through Christ. That is the only unpardonable sin. The Bible calls it blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, rejecting the free gift of salvation. And by the way, it's the same path, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're Greek, Hispanic, Asian, black, white, it doesn't matter. There is only one way to heaven. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If today is the day, again, that you don't know for sure if you've been born again, then I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you that today would be the day that you get saved, forgiven of all of your sins, and know with 100% certainty that if you die tomorrow, that you will spend eternity in heaven. There is nothing more important than that, Joe and Doug. 
at the end of the day, there's nothing more important than that. That's right. That's right. Yep. I, I mean, you're you're right. Plain and simple. In the larger context, can I, just, of can I mention one Go thing ahead. real quick before Please. I forget? Sure. I think there's a tendency. I was thinking about this today. In these dark days that we're living in, you know, and increasingly dark days, there, I think there's a tendency, even among Christians, to to be paralyzed. Do you guys know what I mean? To just be like, well, what, sure. I don't even know where to start. I mean, do I buy food, water? Where do I start? I, I mean, the world's coming to an end, and people can get paralyzed and anxious, oh. right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Here, here's something that that um, has served me well, and and in my life that that I think you know can be applied, and and hopefully will help other people out, which is. I've always had a structure and a, a, a discipline. These are, you know, part of the things that I want to pass on to my son. Hopefully, I'm doing the best I can, and we certainly have our struggles with our son. But the the bottom line is that I think people, uh, you know, they they think that their feelings reflect. Reality that their feelings are real. So if they're if they're if they're if they're depressed, if they're anxious, then that, that's the reality of the situation, right? If they're they're scared about the future, then that those feelings dictate their reality. But in actuality, feelings can be very very deceptive. Do you guys know what I mean? By, by yeah. feelings being just, and people can get paralyzed by that, and they, and they, so they don't know how to reach out to that father or mother that they don't have a good relationship with and patch things up. They, they, they don't know, you know, they, they just figure, I just, you know, I never really read the Bible that much, and, and I'm, and, and I'm old, and, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be able to, to be as, as knowledgeable as Pastor Langford and recall scripture, you know, uh, at a, you know, in, in a, in a second, every time I, you know, and so they become paralyzed and end up doing nothing. But in actuality, what I've realized is that when we take action, right, we take action and a lot of times those actions, those disciplines, and people might say, oh, Greg, don't, you know, you're, you're talking about legalism or religion. No, I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is that when we take action in our life, that our feelings that we think are reality, uh, we, can, we, can, we can change those feelings. In other words, I don't want to go to church today. All right, well, good that you don't want to go to church. Why don't you go anyway? Go anyway, because God says, is you know, in the scriptures that as we see that the day of His approaching, uh, drawing near, that we should be in the habit of having regular fellowship all the more, right? So we can say, I don't feel like reading my Bible. Read it anyway. I don't feel like praying right now. Pray anyway. I don't really feel like calling this brother or sister because we really don't get along. We don't have that much to say. And, you know, I'm still kind of upset with this person in my life, and they haven't called and apologized to me yet. And what I'm saying is do it anyway. 
make the call. Get into your Bible, even if you don't feel like it, because doing those things will change, I can guarantee, will change your feelings. Because the more I pour into God's Word, the more I study His Word, the more I try to spend time alone listening to worship music, and even sometimes whole tones, which, by the way, whole tones is amazing, and I do own it. Uh, my dog Gunner loves it, by the way. <laughs> the music of King yeah. David. But I will say this. When we do those things, they become a practice. They become habitual. And they serve as a foundation for a positive change in our perception of the world and our feelings. Our feelings will change when we take the first step and take action in our lives. That's what I'm trying to say because I know that there's a lot of people, they're just paralyzed. They don't even know where to start. Well, how about this? Read one psalm and one proverb every day. There's 30 proverbs. They, you know, I've been just telling my aunt, who I think is listening, and I love you, Aunt Nancy, if you're listening, in Nashville, Tennessee. But uh, I, I was saying to her today that I've, since I was saved for 15 years, I've been reading one proverb per day for 15 years. Well, if you want wisdom, if you want discernment, if you want understanding, go to the book of Proverbs. Read one proverb that co coincides with the number of the day, and you will read the entire book of Proverbs 12 times a year, right? That's one place to start. Read one psalm a day. And then, if you can, read one chapter from the Old Testament, one chapter from the New Testament. If you don't pray, start praying for one minute a day. Start praying for one minute a day and see if your attitude and your outlook on life changes. And I can guarantee you that when we aren't paralyzed with anxiety and fear and doing nothing, when we take action, God will meet us, He will bless it. And that's, that would be my prayer for your audience, because I think we can all be caught up in that anxiety and and um, you know become paralyzed don't you guys what do you guys think uh, it, we, I, I can speak for Joe I think in this case as well you know it's interesting the paralysis that you're referring to I believe is uh, not just an epidemic here in the in America and the West but it's um, it, it's widespread among all actions perception when it becomes when perception becomes reality if you perceive something to be a certain way you act in the fashion well you act according to your perceptions in this case and if you have erroneous perceptions um then i think our activities are are adversely affected i guess what i'm saying is although instinctively and inherently we know how the the as Christians, we know how the story ends. We know the end of the book. We know what happens in the end. Our focus becomes too much on the minutia and not enough on the bigger picture. And I think that we have to get a grip. And this is to the men. And I think that, that you hit a really interesting aspect here because many men out there 
are are not coming to the cause. Like you mentioned with Coach Dave Dobmar at Target. Yeah, it was short notice how many people showed up to back him up, um, you know, at Target. Hey, get out there and do something. Even if it's, even that one thing, just do it. Church, fellowship, do it. Read the Bible, do it. And soon you develop a pattern of behavior, I believe, that is, that will repair that paralysis, that will, that will, um, fix that emptiness that you have. But you've got to believe too. Absolutely. You know, you know, Greg, I think, I think, it's trite to say, oh, I, I, I'm saved, or I'm a Christian. That's very trite. But, yeah, although works alone, obviously, don't give us our salvation, that doesn't absolve us from, from working. Well, uh-uh. well, not only not only that, Doug, but God prepared those works before the beginning of time for us to walk in. So when we don't walk in those works, we miss out on the abundant life that God has called us to because there's a tremendous amount of gratification walking in the good works that God has prepared for us. Our works demonstrate our faith. They're, 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 they're not justification for our salvation. They're a manifestation of our faith, right? And, they, and, and, and it's the best way that we can glorify God is by being his arms and his legs. And by the way, one one thing I want to say, because I know we're going to the end, end of the hour, one of the ways that we can all, and I'm going to your store that's online, I'm going to purchase something. I'm not sure if I'm going to get the backpack or I might get the coffee mug because I do drink <laughs> coffee in the morning. But one thing that we can all do, and I know that you guys never talk about this, so I'm going to, is that, that folks, I just, I pray that, you know, when... When you go to, you know, what, what, whatever it is that, that, that you, 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 you know, uh, derive some sense of satisfaction from, you know, if you go to see a concert, for example, like hopefully my wife is going to surprise me with um, Lionel Richie tickets for my birthday, I hope. Because I can't wait yeah, to see you. By Richie. the way, by the way, your birthday <laughs> is coming up. May 29th. That's right. May 29th. Yes. So, I, I, but yep. the long story short is, is that you know we, we go to a concert. You know, we we pay for the ticket because we know that we're going to derive. You know, it's a it's a it's a transaction that takes place, and and I just hope and and pray that this Hagman and Hagman family, the worldwide audience, you know that that we all recognize the uh, great work that you guys do. I know what it's like to prepare for a three-hour show, and usually it's two hours for each hour that you're on the air minimum. I'm sure you guys prepare much more. This is your ministry. This is your life. The Bible says that a worker is worth his wages. And so I would just say, you know, I don't believe that the, the tithe, the 10% tithe is 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 you know it's for Israel it's part of the the Levitical ceremonial law that was intended for Israel um the New Testament Paul says to be a cheerful giver to decide in your heart what you will give and to to be a cheerful giver and to the extent that you are able I would pray that uh, you guys would come alongside me tonight go to hagmanandhagman.com and let's be generous let's whatever it is in our in our 
you know, resources that we can uh, donate to keep you guys on the air, to continue to do the great work that you guys are doing faithfully every single day of the week, that you guys would uh, come alongside me, that we would come together as the Hagman and Hagman family and be generous, even if it's only five bucks. Whatever it is that you can give, they add up. And I would just, it's so easy to do. You go to HagmanandHagman.com, you hit the donate button, and give any way that you can. I am going to, um, as soon as we hang up, make a generous donation because I love you guys, I appreciate you guys, and it's always the high point of my day coming on your show. I so appreciate you guys. Well, you know what, Greg, and we appreciate that. We are we, here's what we're trying to do, just so people understand this, and 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 with great guests like yourself, and this is not a mutual admiration society here, but there are so many so many stations, radio stations, so many radio outlets, so many uh, political pundits, so many talking heads out there that that that, that are looking at the issues um, of the day but not through the lens of, of biblical scripture. We're trying to do that. We're trying to make sure that people, um, as well as ourselves, are always good stewards. We're obeying God the way, you know, we're, we're, we're reading our mail. We're acting on the things that we need to act on. Um, and we're trying, you know, we're looking at expanding. And, and you know what, Greg, before you, before you, uh, before you, yeah, you have to go here at the top of the hour. Are we preaching to the choir? Let me just ask you that. Do you think we're preaching to the choir here? Because we get we get accused of that a lot. But second only to, to spreading, you know, fear porn. No, I, I, you know, I think that um, that yes, in, in some ways, preaching to the choir. But then again, when you go to church. Um, you know that's what the pastor does. He's preaching to the to the choir and, and the pew sitters, right? Uh, but I think that there's a lot of people that that, especially now that your audience has expanded, who are at different levels of understanding, and we're each at different levels of our spiritual walk and journey, and you know, and 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 so I think that uh, uh, this is new for a lot of people, even the discussion that we were having tonight. So I think that to a certain extent. Maybe you're encouraging people that are already on the same page, and that's what we should be doing, um, encouraging one another, lifting one another up, you know, pushing each other, saying, hey, brother, I got your back. Keep running the race. Don't give up. Um, so to a certain extent, yeah, that's, you know, part of your audience. But I think that there are probably hundreds of thousands of people that tune into the Hagman and Hagman Report worldwide at different levels of understanding, some uh, you know, might be new believers. Some might not uh, have made that proclamation of faith. Some people understand, uh, you know, some of the degrees of the, the Illuminati and the New World Order and the, the macro big picture. So I would say that, you know, you guys should keep, you know, majoring in the majors. Your message has, 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 has never changed. It's always been to... Uh, encourage believers to explain the signs of the time, to know the signs of the times, to be able to explain them. Town people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. 
Organization, a world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond, you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. back folks to this hour of the Hagman the Hagman Report up next Standale standale.com folks uh, the uh, our, our Hagman Report store is open hagmanreportstore.com and we're inaugurating it with uh, not uh, not only Greg Jackson earlier but with Standale today that's hagmanreportstore.com browse go ahead and browse we have more in store for you <laughs> pun intended Standale from standale.com stand Glad you're feeling better. Welcome to this episode. Absolutely better. I, as I was telling you in the break there, I yesterday morning I got up, I had a really bad night, and I, as soon as I got up out of the bed, all of a sudden, all the pain left. It, it's weird. And I thought it must be a turn wrong or something, but must be a lot of people out there praying for me because I turned a switch, and for two days I've been you know, virtually pain-free. Amen. That's great. I, I mean, and, and thank, I want to thank everyone for praying for Stan. And we know many people have been. We've been getting emails and saying, you know, I'm praying for Stan. Hopefully he'll be on the program. And uh, here you are. So it's good. Well, I, I felt it was something miraculous. I mean, believe me, I've been several weeks with this really bad pain from the fall. And then before that, uh, I'd had, you know, pain that comes and goes. But this was just beautiful. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, it's like my mind was able to work again. It just wasn't cramped, you know, with the pain. Pain has that paralyzing effect on, on you know, mentally. It, it's it's more than a distraction. It, it's difficult to work, difficult to concentrate when you're in constant pain. And uh, I'm glad you're better. Thank you, sir. Well, what are we going to talk about today? Not much in the news, is there? <laughs> Folks, go to standeo.com. you got to go to standeo.com and click on the show images there. Because when you do... Yeah, there's a few things there to talk about. Um, you start wherever you want to start, man. This is your time. Uh, whether it's, uh, and I was thinking about you, the Colorado or the uh, tornadoes in Colorado. You okay? Did you? Did they brush? Obviously, I'm I'm not good with geographical areas outside of my own. No, they're realm, out to but, the east. Uh, most of the right. tornadoes skip right over us because we're we're up snug up close to the mountain range. And uh, they go out and annoy and harm the farmers out to the east uh, of us in the flats, you know, heading toward Kansas, which is famous for tornadoes as well. 
you know, like in The Wizard of Oz. But this particular tornado, um, I don't know who the guys were that were driving the SUV and filming this thing. Uh, some of it's been on the network news. But I've got a link on my show, I'm just page two, about a f- little over five-minute video the guys made of this tornado as they chased it. Uh, definitely crazy, guys. But anyway, they got so close to that thing there that you could see uh, a secondary tornado forming around the main tornado. Uh, I got a little uh, snap of it there so you can click on it and see the whole five-minute video. But it's some of the best video I have seen of a tornado, and especially that close. I mean, you know, it's a wonder they didn't get caught up in it because of the speed and, and uh, the size of it. Um, the tornadoes are a fascination of mine because back in, gosh, Sixty-nine, seventy. I was doing research on how tornadoes work, and it inspired me to to develop the um, well, flying tornado saucer. The flying saucer, but it was a a tornado that enveloped the craft, and it worked just like the real ones did or do. You know, the tornadoes, and that's what, of course, you know, eventually got me sent down to Australia with Dr. Teller's group. So, uh, tornadoes—they're just a fascination for me. Uh, they don't suck things up the middle. The people got the wrong impression. It's not like a elephant trunk that sucks things up. It's in the middle of a tornado is moist, warm air flowing downwards. And the only vacuum is in the wall, the, the outside wall of the tornado. That's why when it grabs things in the vacuum, the cars and posts and all kinds of things stick out of the tornado as they're caught up in that uh, funnel because they're in the the outside edge of it and they're not up inside the funnel um, and so the, the warm moisture comes down it's charged there's lightning flashes inside the, the tornado tube and this hot warm air hits the ground splashes and forms this disruptive kind of donut around the bottom of it and starts to spin back up the outside of the the warm column coming down and this is all you know ion charged ions that are doing this and uh, you'll see that uh, they form this this uh, spinning uh, vacuum wall up to the top. And when you look from the air over where a tornado has been, there's circular cuts, not fill circle, but like a, a circle outline, like a razor cut in the terrain as these things move along, because that's where the vacuum is, is in that very thin wall of the tornado. But anyway, I... You know, there's another fascination that we talked about until a couple weeks ago on the show about how a huge form of that sat over the top of Israel when they were going to make the crossing of the the Reed Sea, and uh, it blew this nice warm easterly breeze across where they were they were camped on the other side of the um, the uh, well where the Suez Canal is now, and um, it dried the ground and uh, pushed on the outside of it, it pushed the water up and around and over out of the the area where Israel's going to walk. So, tornadoes, very, very interesting study. Have fun, go click on that and and see that video. It's not mine, but uh, I just thought it was extraordinary. So well done. My hat's off to the guy. Um, yeah, it looks, uh, Sorry. looks very crazy. We're watching it on the screen here, and it definitely looks intense, uh, that's for sure. You, you know, Stan, I don't think I'd be driving into that. I'd be... Uh, uh, pedal to the metal in reverse but that's just me <laughs> well it was that what was that movie uh, uh storm Twister. chasers or something like that remember that movie 
Yeah. Um, th- there were a couple of them. I think one was Twister. Uh, Twister, that's the one. That's, that's yeah. the one, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought they were crazy then, you know, when a cow goes flying by in front of your vehicle and you're not worried there's something wrong with you. <laughs> there's something definitely <laughs> exactly. wrong with you. Yeah, but, uh, well, yeah, it's amazing yeah. footage to be sure. Go ahead. Sir. Now, listen, uh, a fun thing. Uh, I'll get the fun thing in here in the beginning. Uh, someone sent me a link to a newspaper article in the Daily Mail uh, in the United Kingdom, and it's a a series of uh, photographs, part of a thousand photographs of the Holy Land that were taken by a couple of photographers in 1850 through 1860. And these are the old, you know, uh, uh, sepia-toned, uh, you know, tin-type type, type uh, photographs. Mainly uh, what we're seeing here in this link that I've got on the page is pictures of Jerusalem. And you can see the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, you know, when it was you know, ratty and not uh, up to date yet. And uh, you can see uh, a Bedouin warrior there with his gun, and uh, people walking down the streets with their cloaks and their wares and stuff. And it's just really a fun little thing to look at. I uh, can step back in history. Well, what would that be now? Like uh, 140 years, 100, 160 years, something like that. And uh, see how it looked back then in Jerusalem and uh, some of the surrounding territories. Um, you'll see some Bedouin women, uh, and then some Bedouin men all sitting around something they're eating there with all their sandals off and using the right hand because that's the clean hand because the left hand is what you, you know, wiped your backside with and stuff. And there's a, a warrior with a big saber and his rifle and stuff, and it's all Lawrence of Arabia type stuff. Just but it's all real, just really, really good to see. Anyway, I put that up for people to enjoy. Um, and uh, now, a couple things in news. Did you guys cover the uh, the U.S. military being at its lowest level since 1940? No, but how important is that? Um, especially in the context, too. Pe- people believe in uh, martial law. Uh, I personally believe in executive police force action and and supplemented by external uh, forces, but we. But please cover this because I think contextually it's extremely important. Well, it made you know Fox, Fox, and other people mentioned it, but when you get down to the nitty gritty of it and get the stats, which I put up on the site there, the second row, the, the second, third photographs are are graphs. Um, you see that in 1944 and 45, we had between eight and um, about eight and a quarter million army personnel on active duty to fight World War II against, uh, you know, Germany and Japan. It was a two-front war. And then, of course, after the war, everybody went home. And you see in the graph that uh, 1951 through about 1956, Korean War, and the, the maximum number of guys we used there at one time was about 1.8 million. And then it dropped back down to over to Vietnam. And we had about the same number of active duty personnel during the period for the Vietnam War. And not showing this graph so much because of defense spending, uh, Reagan built up the military and, you know, Star Wars type stuff in the 80s. Where we are now, we will have maybe 440 to 450,000 active military personnel and we're fighting a war in Afghanistan we've got peacekeeping actions in uh, near Iraq um, and some in uh, Europe uh, we've got the threat of the Russians eating our lunch we've got ISIS we've got uh, the whole Middle East crisis and, and we've got not very many people 
military personnel. And even if you're using, you know, super smart weapons and satellites and all this kind of stuff, you need people and backup people to support and run that. Uh, we've just been run down to number-wise to a point that's ridiculous. Now, if you look at the second slide there, the second row, second slide, it tells you the defense spending, actual dollars and its percent of the gross national product, uh, gross domestic product. Um, and that tells you another side of the story. In the um, Korean War, uh, you know, it was around 17, 18% of our GDP was spent on defense. In the Vietnam War, it was slightly less. Um, you know, when you, when you look at the, uh, which curve am I looking at here, the dark blue one, um, you, you're looking at uh, about 8% of our GDP. It fell down during the Vietnam War, and it fell even lower during the Reagan buildup in the 80s, 81 to 1988. And then it really dropped down toward 2000 to maybe uh, 3 or 4% of our GDP was spent in defense. Then we hit Afghanistan and it jumped up to nearly 19%. Now where we are, sorry, not 19%, uh, to 5%. Uh, I was looking at the wrong graph. Anyway, now we're down to about 2.5% GDP. Um, you know, and it looks like it's going to be flatline or lower, depending on who's in office, between now and 2019. So they spent money, increased money um, for these actions but didn't increase personnel to the point that we did in, in the uh, uh, mid to, to early 40s for World War II. But I think we're in worse shape now, uh, you know, as far as threats than they were then. Even if it's domestic policing of uh, terrorist activities, we need more bodies. And they're just not doing it. It is just, uh, I'm, I'm sure the White House could probably justify this somehow or another, but if you ask the, the Pentagon, do you think this is a good idea? You know, the answer would be a definite no in, in four-letter words, I'm sure. They're just taking our defense away. It's, the administration is giving us to our enemies. I just cannot believe I'm sitting here watching this happen. To what end, Stan? I mean, aside from the obvious, is there... Is there some absorption uh, intended? Uh, this new world order, which everyone or not everyone, which many had thought was this um, conspiracy theory, are we? Are we? I mean, what's the larger plan here? I, I, we can see the obvious, but what's the larger objective here? Is it well, simply the, to, to defang us, or no? It is. It is not simple. What they want to do is they want to have a global government. Uh, the planners. But the United States has so many people with independent thought and weapons that America has to be financially crippled uh, and put into chaos to remove it as a potential weapon of defense for Israel in the Middle East. Because Israel and the United States at the moment are closely allied uh, in spite of the administration. And um, with a change of government, should it happen, we have the weapons to make it hard for a lot of the Arab uh, nations and uh, Turkey and uh, Russia to attack Israel because we've got the nukes and we could use them. So we have to be totally um, reduced to to no military or no action that can be coordinated because we're in chaos internally. And once they have beaten us into submission that way, I'm sure Russia and China have plans to move onshore and put boots on the ground here to occupy the United States. 
and you know uh, there have been a number of Christian prophets that have, have had dream visions of this um, saying you know where they will land and, and how long the invasion will last but then they'll eventually leave uh, everybody will go and leave the United States because there won't be much left to live on it, it will have been destroyed by the weapons of war and the sickness that spreads from it so it's a bigger plan and we have been kind of the policemen of the world since you know World War II ended uh, de facto, and um, you know, when you got to get rid of the cops here, you're the police of the world. When you want to do something naughty, and they're wanting to do that in the Middle East, and everybody's got a different agenda over there. Russia's got their own agenda, and uh, uh, Israel's got their own agenda, and uh, Saudi Arabia's got theirs. Everybody's got an agenda. ISIS, ISIS. Now, ISIS is an interesting thing. Do you know that most of the terrorism in the world? Most of the terrorism in the world comes from Saudi Arabia. They they finance. Yeah. Are you aware of that? Yeah, it's the Wahhabi Sunni doctrine that fuels ISIS. Well, that fuels the. Yes, it's that doctrine. And we established Saudi Arabia. We meaning the West and. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, the Wahhabis are uh, a very. Um, basic, you know, no-frills, basic Islam. But there are a number of articles that are published about the, 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 the joint deal between the House of Saud and the Wahhabis, where the... Where the uh, what am I trying to say here? Where the Wahhabis... Um, I don't know how to say that. Well, anyway, um, you know, post-Ottoman era, the Wahhabis, who are very basic uh, Islamists, have been passing laws to behead and uh, delimb people that were Muslims, but not strict, you know, to the to the Quran. Now, the Saud family are thought to be not pure Arab stock. There are a number of articles being published about this saying that the Saudi royal family um, are really uh, Israelites that were uh, left over when Israel wandered in the desert and when there were, um, you know, occupations and uh, the ten northern tribes left and were taken into captivity, uh, that even the tribe of Dan was over in Iraq. And they're saying that the Saud family are descended from an Iraqi uh, uh, citizen who was a tribe of Dan and changed his name and, and pretended to be an Arab merchant. There, there's a lot going on there in Saudi Arabia, and uh, we have to watch them because if they're, if they're behind, which they are, uh, if they're behind all the terrorism in the world, then we have to say they're behind ISIS. They've got the money to fund ISIS, which, you know, the United States helped them to arrange for the deal in Syria, but it got out of hand, and the Saudis are in control of, you know, the post-Bin Laden-type group of terrorists. So if they wanted to, the House of Saud could hold back the funding and get a hold of the leadership of ISIS and say, okay, that's enough now, stand down, and uh, we'll put you in reserve to we need you again. Now, the world is afraid of ISIS and the terrorists. They don't know how to beat them. You know, they, they infiltrate and, and they uh, become illegal migrants into various countries in Europe and here. And they do terrible things. They're going to do a lot more terrible things here in the States soon. So how do you beat that kind of stuff? You 
throw money at it, you throw all kinds of stuff, and they still get through. And then you have a White House here in this country, which is opening the borders. And, of course, uh, Germany opened its borders and let the Syrian migrants come in as well, which were a lot of them uh, young men that were suspected terrorists. So we have no way in the Western world to really effectively stop the invasion of these terrorists. However, if the head of the Saudi family, who controls the money and organization of ISIS under the covers here, if he says, okay, guys, stand down for now, uh, make me look good, uh, you know, we'll make a public deal and you'll stand down, it won't be a terrorist anymore, and uh, I'll be a hero and I'll give you great things if you do that. This is how it can happen. And the Saudi leader, who has gained so much power in the last year, is the guy, Mohammed bin Salman, the deputy um, crown prince, number two in line to be the king. And I don't think he's going to become the king of Saudi Arabia. I think he'll remain a prince in charge of all these portfolios because he's the one that has been organizing the 39 Arab nations into this Arab Union to make a military machine. They've already run joint exercises, you know, early in the year, what we talked about. As I understand it, there's going to be an invasion of Israel at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. And that invasion will fail. And probably the leader of the invasion will be hurt as a result of it, or in his own country be, be hurt by his own people. I think we're going to see the Saudis attack Israel with a consortium. But I think Israel is going to surprise them all with nuclear destruction that will astound them. Uh, they'll lick their wounds and go away. Now, remember in Revelation it says there are going to be two beasts. The Antichrist is the first one. The second one is the false prophet who says, make an image to the first guy because he was wounded with a, a sword to the head and he, he was dead and yet he lived. Now, if you get a head wound from the sword, you're probably not going to be the full quit. You know, you're not going to be all there you know, even though you come back. And I suspect that's why the second beast, the false prophet, runs the numbering system. He, he runs a lot of the stuff that we blame the Antichrist because he's making it in the name of the Antichrist and, and, and having people honor him who caused the, you know, the peace to come by getting rid of ISIS. But, you know, he tried to do the right thing to, to as far as they're concerned, to get rid of Israel and failed. Now, so... That's why I was asking in a break about the Gog-Magog war, Joe. Um, and I see in the scripture in Revelation where it says, after the thousand years, Satan's released, and he organizes Gog and Magog to attack Israel again. Um, I know there are other debates that say that there's going to be the invasion at the beginning of the seven years, and an invasion in the middle, or at the end of it, in the middle, I think it is. And then there's going to, of course, be the Armageddon War. So I don't know. I I tend to think that you're right, that the Gog-Magog thing will come a lot later. But anyway, we're going to see shortly something happen, and the House of Saud is going to be involved in it, and they're going to be behind a great attack on Israel. Um, I find this interesting because um, the king before Solomon, you know, young Mohammed's dad, the king before him in Saudi Arabia, actually funded Netanyahu's run for prime minister in 2015. He put a lot of money into it to get him elected as, as prime minister of Israel. Why? I don't know. It doesn't make sense, but you'd think that would be his enemy, but he, he uh, financed that. And then I started digging into the history of the Saud family. And back in the 1800s, early times for the Saud family starting, the and the house of the Wahhabism was just in its infancy then. A Jesuit priest came to the king of Saudi Arabia and said, "Look, recognize."
recognize the Wahhabi guy, it's a good thing for you to follow follow Wahhabism. Now, why would a Catholic Jesuit priest come and tell the king of Saudi Arabia adopt this type of Islam, this this fundamentalist type? Well, you know, that that puts some kind of a nondescript link between the Vatican and you know Islam in in Saudi Arabia. Now, isn't that weird? Absolutely uh, strange, <laughs> indeed. You, yeah, and and we're we're seeing, in my view, um, and I think what you're getting at is is this cooperation between the Vatican, right, and and yeah. and, and, and Islam, which yeah. it doesn't make sense at its face, and, and, and until you start deconstructing the components and seeing the larger picture, I think is we have to do. Well, we've we've got to have a global government and a global religion under the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now, that means Islam and Christianity and, of course, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism, all the rest have got to come in as well. But the two major factors, they have to agree. And behind the scenes, we're seeing this. I mean, even uh, former Prime Minister of Israel, Shimon Peres, uh, you know, last year, the year before, met with uh, the Pope and talked about, let's have a world religion. Now, for a Jew to say that, that's traitor. That's treasonous, right? I mean, that's just... Uh, <laughs> an yeah, 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 yeah. Now, today, um, talking about, uh, you know, these three or four religions that are vying for power here, go to Turkey, and, well, you can, you can link to a Turkish leader parts way of the EU on the third row, or fourth row down the right-hand side. You see Erdogan shaking hands with, I think it's Angela Merkel. There's somebody there, it looks like her. Anyway, he is not going to... Uh, follow the suggestions of the European Union as far as handling the uh, the immigrants, the illegal migrants, the, the terrorists, whatever. He is going to pull out of the EU. He's also putting forth a, a, a paper to his government, to his people. He wants to change, uh, make a new constitution, a legal constitution for Turkey. In other words, he's going to change the law. Now, is he going to be the false prophet who picks up after the the Antichrist gets wounded and can't do the job efficiently? Is he the one that's going to make a an image to him and, and you know cause the numbering system and all the stuff that we blame on the Antichrist? Is Erdogan going to be that guy? I mean, he considers himself, you know, the, the new Solomon himself. But, I mean, um, his name isn't Solomon, but he's, he's a... An egotist. Uh, he's got an ego that's, you know, 10 feet tall. I mean, it's big. And uh, if he's going to change the law, the next he's got to change the times, you know, I don't know whether that means a calendar or holidays or what in Turkey or for the world. But watch him. Uh, you know, in, in the wings, Erdogan is being groomed to be part of this, I think, as part of the second beast. And we know that the harlot that rides on the beast is the Vatican. It's just come, you know, through the ages, and that's just definitely it. But um, I'm, I'm just seeing things happening so rapidly with these heads of state uh, that we have we have very little time left to to wait for this to be for the Antichrist to be revealed, uh, and it may be that what we're discussing here is revealing him. But he has to actually do a couple more things before you can put the stamp on whoever it is and say that's the bad dude. But um, all these pointers, even though Wahhabism, the the terrorism coming from uh, Saudi Arabia, young Prince Salman gaining so much power and shaking up the world by uh, taking uh, Saudi Arabia off the dependence on oil and going to other commodities and things to make uh, their mark, including a free energy type thing, 
Now, did he did he get that himself, or is this a gift from the aliens at the Jabal Tuwaik base I told you about? Uh, we knew that we had aliens there in Saudi Arabia, 120 miles outside of Riyadh in the Jabal Tuwaik mountain, uh, mountain range. And young Solomon, his first governorship was for Riyadh, just 120 miles from the base there. And if he did liaise with those aliens, or they did with him, vice versa, um, and give him access to free energy technology, that might be why he's divesting himself of his oil holdings, and they're going to surprise everybody and come out with free energy uh, for the world, you know, for a price and a number, I suppose. Um, but there's just a lot happening that are pointing, uh, things are pointing to Saudi Arabia being the the center of this uh, antichrist-type movement of our time. They they behead people. Saudi Arabia leads the world in beheadings for religious persecution or whatever, or legalism. The scripture. Uh, I, I, I about the Bible. This, say again. With scripture in the Bible, um, that is illegal. Also in Saudi Arabia, and, and going back to what you said about changing the laws and changing the uh, the the times. Mm. Uh, what when you say that that always. Uh, reminds me of uh, what the Catholic Church did with the Sabbath in instituting it on Sunday, and right. you know that's just what I what comes into my mind when when that's brought up. Uh, doesn't mean that there aren't other changes that are coming or could come that are related True. to that. But True. well, you know, without regard to that, Stan, as uh, as your a, a good kind of measuring stick would be. Your appearance here on our program on a weekly basis. Now, here it is in 2016 May. Um, how far have we come? Uh, how much ground has been covered, or how quickly has this accelerated? We'll say over the last several weeks, several months, in your estimation. Well, this year has seen the rise of, um, well. Two very important, very possible candidates for uh, the Antichrist in the last, what, five months, not even five months, from woe to go. Uh, uh, young Solomon uh, gets to power and he's 30 years old. And if the Antichrist is going to follow, like, uh, the image or the path that Jesus followed when he was 30, he started his ministry, uh, and it went for a little over three years. Okay, what um, is our Antichrist going to do the same thing? And Erdogan's too old for that, but Solomon would fit that bill. Um, and, and he's just gained so many portfolios of power within the country there, by his father's grace, obviously, King Solomon. But he is, he is everyone, you know, their they're, they're jaws dropping as they watch him in the press taking over the Middle East and, and uh, Saudi Arabia. He's a, they call him the young millennial um, entrepreneur. Of course, he is young, and he is a millennial. But his uh, he's not letting grass grow between his toes. This guy is definitely out there doing all kinds of stuff, remaking uh, the the, uh, the Saudi culture. You give the women the right to drive. I mean, you know, heaven forbid that women should be able to drive and vote. But anyway, he's going to let that happen. And he's also proposing to open up Saudi Arabia to tourism, believe it or not. Come see us. Uh, I thought to myself... Yeah, leave your Bibles at home and don't say anything wrong. You'll end up headless over there. It just, you know. But he plans to make money with tourism, probably from Arab countries, Muslim countries, and not from the West. Uh, but it's moved very fast. Mm-hmm. I, I 
Yeah. I, I just cannot believe what I'm seeing. Well, it, it it does give you cause, you know, cause to pause there when we're looking at this from an aerial view, from a cruising altitude, looking down and saying, "Okay, you know how much how much has changed." Yeah. 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 Anyway, so, there's going to uh, be a little bit of strife between him and his cousin, um, Mohammed bin Nayef, who is the crown prince, to, who is technically supposed to take over when the king dies. But the king has been shoving all these portfolios over to his son. And the only way I can see that Solomon could be the prince of the covenant would be if he never took the throne in, in Saudi Arabia, let his cousin take it, and uh, Ben Solomon went for the seat for the whole planet and thereby as the head of the world he could tell the king of uh, Saudi Arabia's cousin how the cow ate the cabbage, you know, you do what I say because I'm in charge of the whole planet so that's that might be why he remains a prince in his own country don't know, but uh, that is the thought um, I've got a link to uh, on another subject here uh, there was a former uh, White House advisor uh, that uh, gives a, a video uh, testimony on a uh, you know YouTube type thing link to it and and uh, watch it this woman interviews him he was for White House uh, space advisor and he tells about FEMA uh, wanting to keep quiet the potential of a mega quake that would shake the whole country and his arguments are you know very smooth and and, and calm but uh, when you when you look at it, I think it's probably meaning New Madrid, but uh, you've got an official here telling you the, the big one is, is out there, and FEMA's covering it up. We've all suspected that, but this is just uh, a guy saying something about it. And I found another fault line of interest. Um, it's the northeastern part of the United States. Um, and This uh, one in Pennsylvania? Uh, the, the new one? There was a, a, a crack... Uh, in eastern Pennsylvania that uh, was the result of a old fault line that was uh, being rejuvenated, apparently. That might be connected to it. It's close. Um, the USGS put out this report, um, and um, they were basing it on stuff happening in Virginia. But uh, what they're finding is that parts of our uh, craton underneath the United States here are flaking and falling off and down into the magma beneath. So it's kind of like it's caving in. You know, the parts that are supposed to be real stable are flaking off and dropping into the, the mantle. And they've used seismic, uh, uh, you know, detonations and stuff like that to be like a CAT scan of the, uh, the Earth's surface. And that's how they're finding these things. But uh, I don't think I'd be liking to live in, you know, the New England states. Uh, it says the North American plate is peeling off and sinking into the mantle. You can link to that uh, article you know, from the website, from the show. I'm just saying, I just think it, it's another nail in the coffin of people say, oh, no, there's nothing going to happen. It's just rubbish. It's happening right underneath our noses. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, what? what um, since we're talking on this subject, and, and one thing that I'm, I'm trying to re- reconcile in my head and trying to really understand this is Joe, as Joe researches the... Um, Technological aspect of of things. My question to you, Stan, is it, it, the the mark. Any ideas on how this will come about? I mean, I, yeah, I, I get the. I, I understand. For example, 
if you don't if you don't take the mark, you can't you, you can't buy or sell. I, I I understand all the basics. I guess the execution of that, um, where people would would they line up to get, get to get the mark? Would they? Uh, I'm just really trying to figure this out. And, yeah, well, you know. let's look at it this way. Uh, down in Florida, when they announce over the radio, there's a dirty big hurricane coming that's going to wipe out the coast. What happens in the next 24 hours? People yeah, race, yeah. run, rush to get you know food, to, you know Brussels sprouts in a can or whatever. They clean the shelves in panic, but they all get out and they form lines to get this stuff. Right. When our economy collapses, when the banks are closed, when the U.S. dollar currency is not acceptable anymore by you know uh, being inflated or by being being told it's not, no longer legal tender. Um, when that happens, people are going to panic. And to help the people of the planet, uh, a an emergency digital system will come into place. And all you got to do is line up like you were getting water for a hurricane or something. Line up, come in, get the stamp, and automatically will give you so many credits into your digital account, into the New World Bank, because the, the whole banking system is collapsing. And... You know, that way you won't lose your home, and that way you'll be able to get paid for your work, and everything will be okay. Do you see how that would go down quite easily? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, it, okay. People uh, don't know uh, any better. They've got mortgages. They, you know, they've got bills to pay and stuff, and, and want to do things, and suddenly they can't get to their money, or their savings, or their four hundred one k, or anything. And um, well, hey, look, we can help you out. Comes the offer. You know. Um, join the digital system, and and this one, you, people can't cheat on like your credit cards because you'll have your own personal ID number on you, and you know you're going to be safe. It's okay. just a hard. It's an offer they can't refuse. Let me let me take a step backward and ask this: Would there be any component to this mark of the beast system that would be involuntarily uh, applied to man? For example. Uh, let, let's say some type of a, a, a reagent or, or something into one's DNA from aerial spraying or something that would um, not just dumb down a person or make one. Well, yeah, let's put it like this. Say it's a chip, right? Help me yeah. out. And you, you have a, a heart attack, you're unconscious, and while you're unconscious, the ambulance comes and they put a chip in you while you're in the hospital getting care against well, your I, I, will I, without your knowledge. Yeah, without your knowledge. No, okay. I don't believe that that can that can be the case. I think the Bible is very clear. So, I mean, so Stan, I, I guess, so what you're saying is, all right, de- financial devastation out the wazoo, you got a choice. You either take the chip or, you know, because that's what we need to do, or you're not going to eat, you're not going to work, you're not going to survive, and worse than that, we might just round you up and cut your head off, basically, right? I mean, is yeah. is it that's it, that's simple, correct? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's it doesn't even have to cut your head off. I mean, if you can't buy, uh, you know, and and work and and pay your property taxes on what you do own, if you can't do that, you're going to just uh, atrophy. You're going to starve to death and and become a homeless person out there in the bush somewhere because you can't integrate with the system. They don't need to track you down. You'll just no, kind true. of wither and fade away. Yeah, and become an outcast, I'm sure, Unless by your own. Unless you've done some prep work, you know, if you've right. got stuff stored someplace you can use. But even there, you've got to have a place that you can't own, a property that can't be in your name, 
and so you got to squat somewhere with all that stuff. Hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, I, squatting. I, Sorry, go on. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I just I, again, people might might uh, people might characterize that question as really oversimplified, but but I I don't think so. I think I think just to just to conceptualize the potential there. Now, I, I don't mean to to to, to belabor the, the point here, but I, I just want to uh, you know I, I just want to kind of in my head give me a scenario, and and I and I think that's I think you're right. I think it's the simplest answer is the in this case, the the most accurate one. Go ahead, sir. Out comes the razor. Um, yeah, I, I was talking about the squatting. Uh, did you see where Obama and his housing secretary, Julian Castro, are trying to put a bill for before uh, Obama steps out of office, if he does, where they're going to give um, credit or um, uh, dividend slips or, you know, like money, in essence, to poor people so that they can move into suburbs that are the suburbs of the wealthy class and white wealthy uh, suburbs and force the lower income people and their crime as well to be accepted into these communities because the government's going to subsidize them living in these pre- previously pretty low crime and uh, you know nice neighborhoods so it's just another way to absolutely destroy the american system you know, you've paid half a million dollars for your house, okay, and your neighbor has two, and one across the street. And now then a guy that's been living in a humpy or uh, in his car for years or whatever gets a little credit slip from the government and says, okay, um, he's entitled to buy a house uh, next door to your next-door neighbor in your neighborhood. And, uh, you know, he's going to uh, put all these rusty car parts out in the front yard, and his uh, crime and drug lord guys are going to visit him in your neighborhood. Uh, I'm not in favor of that. I mean, the, the neighborhood values will go down the tubes. Crime will go up. They've already tried it in Dallas. This wonderful idea of is it didn't work, and and that's I I cannot understand people not protesting this kind of nonsense. Anyway, yeah, yeah that that whole story, that, that whole idea. Uh, in fact, uh, folks, go to. The show images page on standale.com. Click on that. An article from the New York Post about Obama's last act is to force suburbs to be less white, less wealthy. Talk about social engineering, man. Yeah. Yeah. Man. You know, I watched a documentary here the other night on um, one of the History Channel or something on the rise of Nazism and, and how they did it, how they, uh, Hitler's, uh, you know, uh, propaganda guy it came out very easily at the beginning how to paint the Jewish people as not the best and you know uh, that they should be um, moved out of the community or labeled with a yellow star and bit by bit the German people who were nice people you know church going people started to accept the fact that their neighbor might be uh, you know uh, an insurrectionist or you know uh, some you know Jewish conspirator or something, and bit by bit over the weeks that uh, Nazis were taking over and getting rid of the Jews, you could see how they would try this thing and that thing. Some worked, some people uh, made an outcry that uh, getting rid of of these people might uh, turn to getting rid of Germans as well, and he assured them, no, that won't happen, it's just these people that are bad, these Jewish people. And you can just see how people started to believe the lie, because not to believe it it would have been too painful, because they would be next. And so they didn't stand up when their neighbor was taken away and his house was looted by the SS. 
Yeah. Anyway, I, yeah. I just, we're in that same position here. The reason I bring it up is because Americans are like the frogs in the slow boil pot, you know. We're just being cooked, and people are not aware of it. It's very mm-hmm. true. And that's how they get things done. Um, they can't, you know. Well, there will come a time when it will be a rapid uh, convergence, but subtlety is their is their game, and um, that's how they've been able to implement and will continue to implement these systems and to bring about this change and what they call social justice and sustainable development is through incremental changes. And now we're reaching the point where these incremental changes um, aren't so incremental. You know, we, I mean, we see the the homosexual marriage and now the transgender issues, uh, the hypocrisy of the politically correct uh, nature of, of things. Uh, it seems to be, as Greg Jackson mentioned in, in the first two hours he was on, you know, it seems like God is continuing to separate his people uh, from the rest of the world or his people are separating from the rest of the world or seeing for, seeing it for what it is. And uh, I think that's a good thing, you know, in, in a way. It, it One excellent thing to bring, uh, to come through all this darkness is that people who would continue to go about their lives like everything was normal are waking up to these things and hopefully making the, the proper changes, which is dra- uh, drawing closer to the Lord. Um, otherwise, they're going to fall to the other side because we know you you can't be indifferent you, you're going to have to be with God or, or against him the sheep from the goats mm-hmm yep yeah I know very true I know you know I was uh, I got an email from somebody I get lots of emails and they had a link to some video a guy was doing about um, he, he seemed to know what he was talking about but I don't think so but he was saying that well, you know, the sun's burned up all of its hydrogen, uh, the majority of it, and it's now switched over to helium. started in 1993. Of course, there's no evidence I can find that that happened, but I do know that in 1991, our sun uh, did undergo a nuclear chemistry change where it started emitting more ultraviolet and some of the infrared spectrum as well. If you, if you look into the age of the universe, like I've talked about before, being a lot less like in thousands of years rather than billions because of the way we date the universe by the speed of light, electromagnetic radiation, of course. From the Big Bang till now, the speed of light's diminished so much that we can say that a star like our sun is going to go through its stages to, to death in thousands of years rather than millions or billions. So it becomes important to see what this guy was saying, whether it's true or not, and to... Um, understand the stages that a star goes through. And I've put a link in that uh, picture there in the um, what is it, third row middle image there that shows evolution of the sun. And it's a paper out of Cornell University where they talk about how it starts out with a hydrogen core and burns uh, for four and a half billion years. And then it uh, creates helium, uh, you know, byproducts, and the, the helium is then consumed and becomes a red giant and explodes out and consumes its satellite planets and things like that. But the reason that this is important is if we're having a shorter time period than millions and billions of years, like they show and teach in the university, when our sun does switch over to helium, 
and the Russians have said that we've already burned over half of our hydrogen supply back in, oh gosh, what, 20, 30 years ago they said that. Um, and that means that pretty soon our sun is going to switch and start making helium fusion reactions, which will change the the uh, range of visible and invisible light frequencies coming out of you, know, electromagnetic frequencies coming out of the sun toward us, which is probably at that point in time where the Bible says that the heat will burn men and they will hide in caves and underground uh, to hide from the face of the Almighty, but, you know, who has caused the sun to shine so bright. But this might be this change coming up. It's another little thing to consider. And I look at this more realistically than I look at Planet X-type arguments because I've not seen that proved yet. Um, so watch the sun and... Uh, look for what they call the irradiance factor and uh, the solar irradiance IR uh, okay. R-A-D-I-N-C-E I think it is irradiance anyway that will tell us as it starts to emit more light and I think it's going to undergo this change from fission uh, to fusion with uh, the helium um, and create a problem for the whole solar system in fact all the planets heating up I think is indicative of increased output from the sun in the infrared and ultraviolet already. So, stuff. okay, so, so just so I'm I'm understanding this, what you're saying is this has not yet started, right? The, I don't think so. The 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 the, the, um, the early signs of it, I think, occurred in 1991 when these two new spectra started emitting from the sun. Something was changing the chemical reaction in the sun. It's a nuclear chemistry, but it it was changing. And although it didn't increase skin cancers and that kind of stuff, the increased radiation told us that something is uh, starting. Right. Um, right. And I think, going by biblical prophecy, that it, the, if we're at the beginning of the tribulation period, if you look at the book of Revelation, the sun plays a big part in a lot of the, the uh, judgments that will befall mankind that's unrepentant. Um, yeah, it burns yeah. up a third of the... the uh, people, I believe, and, and right, a third of green yeah. grass. And Back to what he was saying before, yeah. or uh, in a previous program, Stan. And Enoch uh, talks about it, and Isaiah mentions it, how the sun will become seven times brighter uh, yep. than it once was. And, and um, yeah, sorry, the moon also, the, the moon, due to the sun's brightness uh, increase, the moon will also uh, change. You know what, Stan? Before it'll be before the brightest we... sun at, at uh, daytime, but the moon, it'll be the moon instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Sorry, yeah, go I gotta, no, I got to ask this before we get to the end of the program. Mercury's transit, which happens what a dozen times a century, in, anything being oministic or pretending from from the transit of Mercury across the uh, the sun. Well, not that I know of. I mean, a number of people have said, you know, oh, this is a sign of this or that, but I, I personally but haven't seen anything that, that yeah. excited me. I mean, that's just a normal orbital thing. I've seen some neat photography of, uh, of the event, but uh, and planes also, you know, with a sun background and things like that. But no, it, it's not an abnormal occurrence. Okay. Um, somewhere back in, uh, I don't know whether it's in uh, Ezekiel, uh, Isaiah, where it talks about the sun will be covered with a cloud. Uh, that's another thing uh, that tells you that there's going to be debris. Uh, either the sun is going to eat, throw off a cloud of, uh, you know, heavy ions, of the metallic ions that it puts into the solar wind. Maybe it's going to release a lot of those as it increases its diameter slightly, and it'll make a cloud 
the uh, sun, that cloud would obscure the light so that the light coming from the sun and hitting the moon would be so weakened that it would be reddish colored from that. Uh, it, I, I'm trying to remember where it was, as I say, uh, in, in the Old Testament, but um, it does say that the uh, uh, a cloud will envelop the sun and uh, whether we pass through something in the galactic rim that's a cloud or whether it's generated by the chemistry change in the sun itself, there will be a cloud there in addition to it growing very bright. Which comes first is, you know, maybe up for debate. I don't know. Uh, but um, anyway, that's something else to look for in addition to the heat. Um, and hmm. It just affects so many things. The, the, the radiation coming out of the sun is absorbed by uh, uh, phytoplankton, uh, you know, the, the very little tiny sea animals and stuff that the, uh, the whale uh, eat, uh, the krill. Um, uh, all these things absorb solar radiation in certain frequencies, and it's like energy to them. And they create a byproduct of heat once they've absorbed this light and their metabolism you know, burns their food, and it heats up the oceans. And this causes, you know, polar melt. Uh, this causes uh, a lot of things that uh, currents change and salt water uh, plumes and things. Everything changes as the heat is raised. And just by raising the temperature of these little tiny life forms uh, gets us. Well, Stan, we have uh, reached wow. the end of this hour and of our show for this evening. Once again, I want to. Uh, give our appreciation to you and Holly and, and say that we're we're thankful and happy that uh, you were able to join us again this week and that the pain that you were going through has subsided and uh, we'll ask the audience and, and ourselves to continue to keep you and Holly in our prayers Amen. and Thank you. Uh, that that pain stays away um, I'm sure it's got to be a lot to keep you down and keep you from, from doing what you like and love to do so uh, ah, Ezekiel 32.7 Ezekiel 32.7 oh, Covers the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give her light That's the one we're looking for Sorry, go on yep. Oh, this is good Ezekiel 32.7 Thank you for that Alright, brother Thank you so much for, week. for coming on today Alright, bud Good we'll holiday, we'll see you next week Alright Tomorrow, Steve Quayle, Gary Haven The guy behind the movie America, America. On its release day uh, Or release week Friday, Paul McGuire, too.